Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. Support Tom Jones. We're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by John Holt, Fox 4 News in Kansas City. And uh, he's set to join us to talk about uh, KU and uh, Big 12 expansion, a little bit about the Chiefs and more, and all the uh, latest happenings uh, in uh, Kansas City when he joins us coming up later on in the show. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Our Tom Fuller story of the week, our Big 12 breakdown, and also the return of draft season is here as we will do our first draft of the summer. And this week, that means we are going to be drafting a dinner party. We are going to each select uh, about six different people that we are inviting over for dinner to have a dinner party. So we'll reveal our uh, draft selections coming up later on in the show. We also have a full uh, look back on the uh, Nuggets NBA title as uh, they got the job done there against the Miami Heat in five games. And uh, Nikola Jokic cements his place as one of the all-time greats. More on that in just a second. But first, Thomas Bridges uh, is here with me as always, Tom. Uh, it is uh, good to have you here, my friend. And uh, a report back, by the way. Uh, I want to bring this up off the top. I told y'all last week that I would be hopping in a real NASCAR race car uh, at the Team Texas High Performance Driving School, courtesy of our uh, friend of the show, David Starr. And I can successfully say, Tom, that it went well, that I had a great time, and there was no damage to the race car. So it was a win-win for uh, all parties involved going over 150 miles an hour there at Texas Motor Speedway. I live to tell, as they say. Well, yeah, I'm glad you didn't get Dale Earnhardt. And- <laughs> <laughs> I was running around other cars, too. We had about six or seven cars on track there. There you go. Any Danica Patricks? Uh, there were a few, yeah. There you go. Well, I'm glad you lived to tell the tale. Now you got to jump out of a plane. Um. I would love to do that, actually. I would love to go skydiving. Is that on your bucket list? I have never been. It is on my bucket list. I just haven't decided to to go. I haven't, you know, sat down and hammered it out to do it. But I'll tell you, from what you told me just over the phone, uh, David Starr's Racing School, Texas Racing School, um, is in my kind of plans to do that. I saw how much fun you had, and so I'm thinking, well, I am coming down to Dallas in August, and we did talk about that, and I'm like, yeah, I want to get behind the wheel for sure. Right? You get to drive a real NASCAR race car at over 150 miles an hour. You got an instructor there with you. And the crazy part about it, Tom, for me, not only just those high speeds and wearing the fire suit and the helmet and all that, I thought that was pretty fun. That was pretty badass. Even though it was, it was like 110, 120 degrees on the racetrack itself, I, I think I had so much adrenaline going that I didn't feel too hot. I didn't get overheated wearing that fire suit out there and everything. And you didn't, you didn't even need to pee in the fire suit. I did not. In fact, David's wife, Kim, uh, as I was putting away my fire suit, she asked me, you didn't pee in this, did you? I said, I did not. Uh, <laughs> can't confirm I did not need to piss in the fire suit. The only thing that could have been better is you could have. I was I was expecting you to get in the Whataburger car. You 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 rode with Cheerios though. 
I did. I was in the Cheerios car, and I've had a lot of Cheerios in my life. Been a while since I had some Cheerios. The old Clint Boyer car. Uh, you know, obviously he's a he's a Kansas guy, so a little connection there. Uh, but the uh, Cheerios car was uh, was a lot of fun. I enjoyed getting in that Cheerios car. I'll say this: as a guy that's just about six two in height, Tom, I'll be honest, race car is a little small for a guy my size. Getting through the climbing through the window net. Remember, these cars don't have doors and everything. That was uh, that was an adventure. I'd love to see a video of you climbing in through the window. It it took a minute. I'll put it that way. Like. Uh, it was not easy, but it was done. I did you you look at all these NASCAR drivers, they are all of short stature. About everybody except Michael Waltrip. Michael Waltrip's about 6'5". Yeah. Right, right. I mean, but I mean, Jeff Gordon's probably, he's under probably 5'9". I mean, we know, you know, God bless him, David Starr's not the tallest human being well, in the world. Yeah, David's like 5'6". Yeah. <laughs> like, you know who'd be perfect for a NASCAR driver be old evan simon daughtry yeah uh he would be he would be great i think you could probably like trade places between a jockey and an NASCAR driver i think they could both do the same job i mean yeah i mean they don't call it horsepower for nothing right um the thing to me that kind of i learned that was uh unexpected tom when i was doing this the track moves the car you don't have to steer that much in actuality because the car goes with the way of the track and there's certain marks you're supposed to hit and based on the way the track moves with the vehicle there's not a whole lot of steering to it the real the real thing is is when to accelerate and when to let off that is the the challenge of sorts the steering uh, isn't that crazy? Isn't that complicated? It's the when you put the gas down and when you lay off that makes things a little little difficult of sorts. So you're not really braking. You're just kind of gliding. Correct. Correct. If, if we were racing, you know, at, at top speed, if I was trying to go 190 or 200 around there, then, yeah, you'd be braking and all that. But with what we're doing at topping at, you know, 150, 160, uh, they want you to take it easy in the corner, lay off the gas, let the car roll, and then get back in the gas uh, as you get towards the end of the turn. So now, is there a governor on these cars, or is it like they just tell you to stay in that range? Um, so there's no speedometers on the vehicles. Um, Very interesting. You, have, you, you don't know how fast you're going. There is... Uh, a light comes on that comes on uh, when you have like reached a certain level of speed uh, when you're using, you know, maximum RPMs or whatever it may be. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was something else. I'll say this too, Tom. I know that when we talk about David's racing school and team Texas and all that, uh, we've always mentioned about getting in the race car and, and doing that thing. And that was awesome to drive myself, but I got to tell you, I think I had just as much fun or a little bit less of being in the passenger seats with the professional doing the drive and the professional being allowed to do his thing. of not having to lay off the gas and just getting as close to the wall. Imagine that Tom. Now I've switched seats. I'm the passenger and the wall is almost right next to my face here. It's kind of surreal. 
I mean, that's crazy. I mean, when we rode with David Reagan at Kansas, I mean, that pace car, which is crazy because we got in that Toyota Corolla, and it was, I think, I feel like we were doing like 130 in that, and he was getting pretty close to the wall, but to be doing 180, something like that, almost 200, be pretty unreal. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've, I've done 115 in my own car, so the Toyota's not too far from that, but doing you know 75 more miles an hour that'd be a little different i gotta tell you after i'll be honest tom after i got done with that when i got on the highway and i was driving home i oh, drove yeah. a little more confidence maybe a little bit too much like I, I hauled ass on my way home after driving a race car and i was getting pissed off of these cars holding up the passing lane and everything i'm like get out of the either move out of the way or, or get off the road here, people. Like, you, you don't belong out here. Like, I, I've been in a race car. I, I want to go fast. Oh, hey, we know we know from your experiences out in Garnett, Kansas, that you got a lead foot. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we know that foot's heavy. Wow, so. wow. You, you went there. You really went there. Party foul yeah. on your part. Yeah, uh, you, we know you got that lead foot, boy. Hey, I did not get pulled over this time. Uh, we we say we we left the pulling over in uh, in Garnett, Kansas, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been pulled over in a while. Knock on wood, to be honest. Uh, but we'll leave it at that. Tom, uh, the Denver Nuggets, NBA champions for the first time in franchise history, as a Nikola Jokic and company get it done with a dominating performance there in Game Five to. Uh, claim the NBA championship 94 to 89. Jokic was named the uh, MVP as uh, he finished that uh, final game with 28 points, 16 rebounds, and four assists. And his uh, his partner in crime, Jamal Murray, uh, was solid there as well with uh, 14 points, eight rebounds, and eight assists in that final game there as Denver takes home the title. I know you're happy for your guy, Stan Kroenke. One of the best owners in all of sports. I uh, can't think of a better guy, more deserving of an owner to, you know, win all these championships and everything. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what what a moment for him to win with a small market team. He's never had that opportunity, right? Uh, did, but huh, we knew how that went. Right. Um, but with that said, as far as the, the focus goes on the Nuggets here, you know, this is a team that – uh, the blueprint, I, I'm amazed how well they, they stuck it out when things got difficult. I mean, I can remember, Tom, it wasn't too long ago, you and I sat here on this show wondering if Mike Malone was going to keep his job a couple of years ago, if they were going to keep things around with him. And then Jamal Murray with the injury and him begging to stay, please don't trade me. And, and you know, for them to just ride it out to – uh, no pun intended, trust the process of uh, their talent there to keep that core together. You just don't really see that anymore, especially with the adversity they faced to ride it out the way they did. I mean, pretty remarkable story there for not only a small market team, but for that core to stay together with all they've been through here. I mean, oh, yeah, because, you know, you know, granted it was injuries and they – you know, a couple of years ago, before he had that first injury, I was thinking the Nuggets were well on their way. And they could have been. 
Um, and it's crazy looking back and just at the history of the Nuggets, like just growing up, like, you know, a lot, I, I think it's, I think it's hilarious kids nowadays when you say mellow, they immediately are like, oh yeah, LaMelo ball. And I'm like, no son, Carmelo motherfucker. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, absolutely not. How could they like, no, but I, it's crazy to me that those Nuggets, I mean, granted those Nuggets teams had to face Kobe and Duncan, you know, and like, and, and even the Suns, the, the Steve Nash led Suns and the Nuggets were always fourth best out of those in the, in the mid early two thousands. But it's crazy to me that it's finally like the Nuggets turn to do it. Um, Obviously with, with, you know, the year that Carmelo Anthony finally says, yeah, I'm hanging it up. Um, You know, when I think Carmelo Anthony, I don't think the Knicks, I don't think the other teams that he tried to hop on and, and get a championship. I, I think of the Denver Nuggets. So I'm happy for the Nuggets. You know how I feel about small market teams. Um, much better, much better for them to win um, than the Lakers. I do somewhat in a weird way feel bad for the Miami Heat. Hell of a run. Maybe the best run by an eight seed we've seen ever. Yeah. So for the dream just to fall short. It is kind of sad, but it's like, you know what? They weren't even supposed to be there. They had a hell of a run. They eliminated some great teams on the way. And, you know, what better way for Jokic, a guy who is not flashy, not – I mean, not flashy in a way. He's, he has some pretty cool flashy passes, but he's just not your average typical, you know, selling point in terms when it comes to the NBA. And it's not because he's foreign. It's not because he's white. He just doesn't play that style of basketball that we've come to see that, that you know, when they say sex sells, well, flashy basketball sells. And there's a reason why they call him the Showtime Lakers. Or there's a reason why some god-awful reason they've tried to hype up the Knicks. The New York Knicks are the Texas Longhorns of the NBA. Somehow they always get hyped up. They don't ever do shit. Um, and it never works out for them. But that's, I mean, so every year, you know, it's always the one of the coastal teams, the coastal elite, um, that get that treatment. And so I'm happy for the Denver Nuggets. I'm happy for Mike Malone. Uh, I do think he was on the uh, a flip of a coin from losing his job. Uh, a couple years ago, or even like last year, or the year before. Oh yeah, um, it was incredible to see what they pulled off uh, to make that happen. And 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 Jokic now, you know, Tom going into this postseason, there was a I would say fair debate of who was better between him and Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid had a terrific season in his own right. Um, I think the one thing that held Jokic back and that uh, a lot of us had said over the years was that, hey, when it comes to playoff time, he hasn't been able to get the job done, that he's folded at times, and that his stats have been kind of padded against bad competition in the regular season. And then all those narratives, I mean, just put to bed. I mean, they dominated all the competition. He played great in every series. He was unstoppable. He was consistent. 
all playoffs long. And he showed why, Tom, that not only was he the finals MVP, but he is without question the best player in the world right now. Jokic, it isn't the sexy brand of basketball from him. Um, this is a guy that, you know, he, he's not in the best of physical shape by any means. He's not a physical specimen, specimen, you know, from God here, but a terrific store score, great rebounder, great passer. One of the best passers in the league. We, we have not seen a threat to his caliber of somebody that can, uh, size up guys in the post and then still do all those little things like score rebound and pass really since Magic Johnson. Like, I'm not going to sit here and I think it's a waste of time to talk about where he belongs among the all-time greats and, you know, what is he among the best centers of all time and all that. We can have that discussion for another day because Jokic's work is far from over. He's only 28 years old. But I can sit here and say that he is the best player in the world right now and he is right in the midst of his prime right now. He's still got a lot of great basketball ahead of him. Oh, he for sure does. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, my one of my favorite things, um, and I I need to get my ass in the gym. I need to start being better, especially at the age of 30. It's not getting any easier. I need to put in – I need to put in the work and get back and get back to it. But one of my favorite things, because let's face it, 80% of America is not in tip-top physical shape or anywhere close to it. One of my favorite things about the Jokic thing, and and he said this after, don't cut out the fat boy. And I'm like, you know what? Hell yeah, Jokic. Even if, you know, all these other NBA players are tip-top physical peak athletes, and rightfully so, they do put in the work. Um, but for him to go out there and, and put on for the rest of America, be like, you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter. If I'm not just a gym rat, I can come out here and kick your ass at basketball. Um, I just think that's pretty funny. I always thought that was great about Jokic of being like, you see the pictures of him as a kid, and uh, he's just out there schooling cats. And just someone, someone mentioned, I don't know if it was Reddit, I don't know if it was Twitter, but someone was like, why does Nikola Jokic look like he's playing in flip flops? And it does. Yeah. It looks like he's out there at a pickup game and just out there and like, man, I forgot my, I forgot my sneakers at the house and all I'm playing in a fucking pair of slides and he's just schooling everybody. Still, he's got a weird calmness about him when he plays. And I, I do enjoy watching that. And he was picked, uh, during the middle of a commercial for Thomas's favorite thing at Quesarita of all things. Uh, right. From Taco Bell. Bring back the quesadilla in honor of Jokic, uh, Taco Bell. Uh, I'll say this, too. One more thing on Jokic. Um, the way that he reacted afterwards, Tom, of, you know, saying, hey, the job is done. Now we can go home. And when he was asked about the parade being Thursday and being disappointed, he's like, I got to get home. He wants to go home and attend to his horses and the horse racing there and, and serve it and everything. And I, I heard some people say, wow, it he's like not interested. He, he just doesn't care about this championship. And I got the total opposite vibe, Tom. Like my my takeaway when I saw him acting the way he was, to me, this looked like a guy that knew what the task at hand was, that knew, understood the assignments, 
the job at hand went out, put it, all his eggs in the basket, got the job done. And now he's like, oh, wow, we did it. Got the job done. Now can we have a break? Can we go home and, you know, and, and see family and, and, you know, go back to survey and all that. Like, that's how I took away from it. Like, I, I was I was impressed. Like, the the mindset and all this, um, his I think his heart and everything's in the right place. Like, you you saw a determined Nikola Jokic there in, in uh, this NBA playoffs, I thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was pretty calm. And um, I did think I'd see a little bit more excitement out of him. I mean, uh, you know. I, I guess he's 28. I don't know how old Kevin Garnett was when he won with the Celtics and we got the anything is possible. Um, and maybe KG thought at one point he might never get a championship. I'd like to actually see what – I bet he was probably 33, 34. Man, well, now I say that, that was what, 09 when the Celtics won? 2010, 2009? Yeah. When they won – Meaning that if he was 33 now, that means KG would have to be mid-40s now. Or, yeah, no. So, he had to be about maybe Jokic's age. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but I thought we'd see uh, a little bit more excitement out of him. He, he almost had a – I don't know. He almost had a, like a, a relieved demeanor yeah. of like – Holy fuck! Thank God it's over now. I don't. No one's gonna be. No one can say anything anymore. It's like, oh my gosh! Thank God we won. You know, um, I thought. Did you see the video of him like not knowing what to do with the champagne bottle? Yeah, and then he that uh, was hilarious. He left the MVP trophy on the stage. Right, like it's like. I mean, can you imagine how? How probably just I don't know. He's one of the most humble stars we've seen. Probably most humble since Tim Duncan. Yeah, just doesn't care about it's like, all right, yeah, they can have the trophy. You know, it's just like, okay, yeah, that's cool and all. That that's cool, man. That's pretty cool, I guess. And just leaves it out there. (laughs) Just you know, you see all these classic pictures of Michael Jordan cradling the trophy. Um and we're getting those out of Jokic. Yeah, classic picture, and Jokic is like, what do you, you know, and he's like, oh, okay, this is a piece of metal. <laughs> right? So this is what we worked all this time for, you know? Like, this is all I did. Yeah, like... Like, okay. Um, going forward for the Denver Nuggets here, Tom, um, they were impressive. It, they were by far the dominant team. We've had five different champions in the last five years. First time there's been parity in the NBA in a long time, maybe if ever, really. And I was thinking about this. Yes, Jokic and Murray are the best combo in the league, and they got the best player in the world and all that. But as a Thunder fan, for example, I don't sit here and say to myself, wow, the Nuggets are about to start a dynasty, and and that's going to be the thing standing in the Thunder's way. Like, the Warriors stopped every potential growth plan that a lot of these young teams had in the NBA because of how good they were, right? And you go back to the early 2000s with those Lakers teams and, you know, the Spurs, you know, and their dynasty and all that. Like, those stand in the way of young, talented teams rising up and 
getting to where they want to go. The Nuggets are going to be good, and as long as they have those two, I think they're going to be good for a long time. But I don't think they're going to be dynasty caliber. I don't think we're talking about the Nuggets just going on this run and being on this dominant, uh, you know, run for the next couple of years here. If you're a Thunder fan or, you know, one of these other teams that's that's solid like Phoenix or, uh, you know, the uh, Bucks, Sixers, you know, all, all these other teams that are out there, uh, you still have your own path. You still have a chance to create your roster and go contend for titles and not have to worry, I think, about, Denver being too hard to get past here. I I don't see a dynasty in Denver's future. Maybe if they had another player or something, they could get there. But where the where Denver is at, I, I don't think. Even though they dominated this playoffs, I don't think the future is this big gap between them and everyone else. No, no, it doesn't feel the same. They don't feel like uh, they don't feel like the team that get past like the Spurs and the Lakers and the Pistons did in the mid two thousands. They don't come off as a new age Miami heat. They don't come off as a warriors. Um, I don't know if they, I wouldn't say they, I, I would say that they, they're not going to repeat. I don't think I say that, you know, if, if you're a nuggets fan, listen to me, the things you guys are going to repeat, we'll save this show and then come back to me and I'll buy you a beer. Right. They uh, remind me of that box championship team a couple of years ago really good yeah. team, arguably the best player in the world um everything just went right for that bucks team like and they're good but the bucks didn't win multiple titles after that i think that's who they are i think they're more like what we saw with the bucks than they are like the warriors or something right and and i'd say they're obviously a little bit different place and better place than the toronto raptors were that was just a one-year deal going you know we knew it was over um i will say i'm so shocked you didn't mention your boy christian brown i was getting to him next he was my next thing uh he's he's that's awesome for him so you look at christian brown and he wins the nba championship won the college basketball national championship at kansas last year when he was in high school at blue valley northwest he was a three-time state champion All he does is win, 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 no matter what. Uh, He's got money on his mind. Uh, I mean, he's he's got it figured out. I mean, Christian Brown uh, really came along. He was great. What was that game three when uh, when he off 15 points and was seven of eight from the field? Um, I thought he'd look better than Michael Porter Jr. did at times. Uh, His future's bright. I think he's going to be a nice piece for that uh, that Denver Nuggets team. Bill Self and – Curtis Townsend, they were in the building uh, on a on in Game Five to celebrate the championship with him and everything. Uh, Christian Brown, great story. Uh, what a winner that guy is! Uh, what he's been able to do uh, the last several seasons here. I mean, yeah. I mean, hell, um, was he a senior when he left KU? Uh, he was a junior. So let's say he won sophomore junior senior season of his of his high school career yep so let, let's call it let's just you I mean you look at the whole body of work so seven so eight total years from the time that he won let's say he won or started high school till now eight total years and in five of those years he's been at the end of it all winning pretty incredible 
five out of eight. That's, I mean, to win the championship five out of eight years of your just playing career, whether it be high school, college, and now the NBA. I mean, five eighths is what point six two. He's he's got about a sixty two percent chance to win the a championship in whatever league he is in in any given year. That's pretty good. One more thing. Uh, let me, let's talk about the Heat real quick. Um, the Heat obviously come up short. They did win Game Two and did it on the road. That was uh, that was impressive in itself. But this is a team that clearly lacks star talent around Jimmy Butler. And there's a couple guys that are already being mentioned um, there. And we've seen what Pat Riley has done in the past to acquire talent. Um, the Heat got arguably the best coach in the league. Eric Spolstra did a hell of a job. Jimmy Butler was great, but it looked like he ran out of gas towards the end. Um, there's some good undrafted talent there. And, and, and Bam and some of these other guys, that's a, that's a good core that they got. But, but Tom, it was very evident in this series. They still need another piece, and that might not that might be it. They might just be a player away, but it was very evident that Jimmy and Bam, they're a good duo, but it's not enough. They got to have more there. Yeah, I think they do, and and you know what, I do think they have that works out for them. That is, um, you know, Eric Spolstra. I still think you know, hats off to Mike Malone, um, but I still think Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA currently. Yeah, I think so. Um, that's a very good point. So we will, uh, move on and, uh, shift gears to the, uh, big 12. Uh, that's, uh, our, our big 12 breakdown, uh, coming up next. And, uh, the latest in Colorado, not a whole lot of changes, uh, this week compared to last week on the, uh, front of trying to bring Colorado to the conference, but we're on the countdown clock, Tom, of, you know, pack 12, uh, midnight you know when uh when when time expires and we've been told oh a tv deal's close uh you know they're ready to sign the grant of rights and all this and i'm like where where, where? i mean we, we haven't any details what's the tv deal look like the grant of rights uh what, what's all that look like and still nothing at this point it's june now um we told you a while back we said that hey with with uh the spring sports going on in the winter sports too, you know, with college basketball and softball and baseball and all this, you're probably not going to make a move during that time because you don't want your coaches to have to answer for it while they're still in the middle of the season. I mean, even this week, let's say for all intents and purposes, if Colorado would have had a team in the college world series, do you want your team, your, your manager, your head coach on that stage talking about realignment, if you're going to be leaving for the Big 12 or not? No, of course not. If it's going to happen, all of it would be, um, you know, in, in those summer months when the uh, spring sports end. Uh, so all of that is par for the course there. Time is on the Big 12 side. Time is not on the Pac-12 side. And as we are, are nearing the point, of uh the decision i think that's where we're at now like tom lear it, it is it is almost decision time uh as bo says all the times you either got to shit or get off pot and mm-hmm. i think in you know we get the college world series and more on that here in just a second got the college world series coming up and, and some of these other spring sports finishing once that concludes then i think as we get towards the beginning of the Ju- july 
And then around the media days, you know, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12 media days and all that, we should know an answer one way or the other of Colorado saying we're in or we're out and uh, and going from there. The, the, the thing that two things Big 12 has going their way in Colorado and Arizona's case is they know their TV situation uh, and it's majority on linear TV and cable and not streaming and the money. We know the Big 12's going to have more money than the Pac-12 TV deal. Those two things. And then on top of that, time is on their sides, too. I don't know if there's any more the Big 12 can do at this point. Now we just wait and see if it's going to happen or not. I think they've laid everything out in the line. And at this point, Colorado, Arizona, whoever, I think you'd be stupid not to go to the Big 12 at this point. I mean, yeah, it'd be pretty surprising if they chose to – you know, make all this hoopla about it and then stay. I mean, you know, where there's, and, and I might be remiss for saying that. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would be remiss without saying this, but at the same time, I get, I get how it's not always true. But when they say where there's smoke, there's fire, uh, it's, it's been smoking for quite some time. And it would be kind of a, I don't know, from a biased Big 12 fan, let down if they didn't. But at the same time, would be like, well, why'd you expend all this energy to talk all this shit and not do anything? Right. Um, the latest report from Andrew Marchin on the uh, media side of things for the Pac-12, he said Amazon is unlikely. CBS is a no. NBC says slash USA is a no. Fox is a no. ESPN is only interested if it's a bargain, if it's a cheap deal. That leaves you with Apple and the CW. So pretty simple, right? Let's let's say ESPN's out of the equation. And, and you know, ESPN obviously, if they're in, is not going to be much money anyway. It's here's your reality. If you're Colorado, Arizona, whoever, you want to go to the Pac-12 and take less money. Okay. Stay in the Pac-12, take less money. Um, do you want to play on Apple TV in the CW? Okay. Um, and then also your conference is on the verge of extinction. I mean, Oregon and Washington will leave for the Big Ten the moment they get an invite, maybe even at a reduced rate, maybe not even a full membership. They would go to the Big Ten as far as that goes. If I'm Colorado, if I'm Arizona, of all the things we just mentioned, I want to control my own future too. There's a path right there in the Big 12 that I can control. I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to exist tomorrow because you don't know uh, how loyal Oregon and Washington are going to be. And, And I don't want to see my future. If I'm one of those schools, have my future determined by somebody else of what Oregon and Washington can do, uh, because they'll leave the moment they get the opportunity to do so. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's, you know, when they they say, you know, it's you're only as loyal as your, you know, your, I guess your loyalist member. But at this point, they know the boat's sinking. It'd be stupid to think that any of these schools are just going to be super loyal if a better deal comes along when the boat's filling with water. Right. And, if Colorado leaves, I think there's more dominoes to fall still. I know that you know the talk has been, well, it might just be Colorado, whatever. Stay patient, folks, because that's like 
that's as Tom mentioned, you know, another item to the sinking ship of some sorts. Um, because San Diego State, why would they command the same TV contract that Colorado would? If that was the case, San Diego State would already be in the Pac-12 at this point. So we uh, we wait, we see, and uh, a, a decision should come uh, pretty soon as far as that goes. Uh, a couple of soon-to-be former Big 12 members, Oklahoma and Texas, now know their SEC opponents for 2024. Oklahoma will get home games against Alabama, South Carolina, and Tennessee. They'll face Texas, of course, in Dallas. And then they'll have road games against Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou. Texas will host Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State. And then they'll travel to Arkansas. They'll get Oklahoma and Red River. They travel to A&M, and then they get Vandy here. Uh, Tom, first off with Texas, the big kicker in all that is they get all their rivals. They get. Uh, we knew they were going to get OU anyway, but A and M and Arkansas, and they got to go on the road to both those as well. I, I, I'm excited about the Lone Star Showdown coming back. Uh, I, I know that you know. Obviously, we wanted OU and Texas to stay in the Big Twelve, but uh, it's just a college football fan. I, I'm excited to see Texas and Texas A and M make this return. Oh yeah, I mean it'll be kind of the same way when we see KU play Mizzou again. Um, but there's something to say about just great rivalries. I mean, we were happy to see, even though OU blew the doors off of them, everybody was happy to see OU Nebraska play again. Uh, same, same way how I feel about A&M and Texas. Yeah. A&M Texas is going to be fun. I imagine that's going to be Thanksgiving night and you get it. Uh, that game, of course, uh, going on at college station. You want to talk about a hostile atmosphere, Tom, uh, for A&M to get the first game there is uh, – that's going to be a big deal for, for A&M. A uh, long time coming here. I mean, yeah, and, and you know, A&M is um, – you know, over the past couple of years, they're kind of have no – not really even a, a – I'd say they're about in the same boat as Texas has been in the past couple of years. But uh, for them to get in College Station, yeah, it's going to be a heck of a game. Um you know, if I had to be in Texas um, during that weekend, I mean, Kyle Field's going to be rocking. And, um, I, I mean, what's that stadium hold? Is it the biggest in Texas? It's big. Yeah, one of the biggest in the country. It's like 109,000, something like that. I'm, I Can you imagine how loud it's going to be? Now, they will have the annoying ass A&M people there doing the midnight yell. Right, like no one wants I mean, to see doors, all the, the and all that, you know. Yeah, the yell leaders, that's the most cringiest shit in sports, in my opinion. A&M a- uh, is one of the weirdest institutions in America, if we're going to be all honest with ourselves. I mean, yeah, any A&M fans listening, that's a cult. It um, is. Two, they do weird, they do super weird shit. That, that's the shit that I'd expect BYU to do. Uh, and they even have just more... I don't know, just more self-awareness than Texas A&M. Tom, I'll say this. I know Oklahoma gets Alabama at home, but Alabama trending a little downward uh, the last couple seasons, although they're still fantastic. Um, They get them at home 
that's going to be, it looks like their toughest game on paper. They do have to play at LSU, though, uh, which won't be easy. Texas gets Florida at home. We mentioned Georgia at home. And then A&M on the road and Arkansas on the road. I think Texas got a little bit tougher schedule than OU did. Um, although I will say Alabama and OU in Norman, that's going to be a hot ticket. That's the biggest home game that OU's had uh, probably since that uh, that Notre Dame game back in uh, 20, what was that, 14, something like that? Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say so too. I mean, that's pretty big. I know this is Big 12 breakdown, but I did see Georgia play in Tuscaloosa um, and Georgia will have to play in, in Austin. But, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to be a hell of a game. I mean, Norman's going to be packed for that. I would love to travel to Baton Rouge for when OU plays at LSU. Uh, oh, yeah. If it was OSU moving to the Big 12, that would be the first game on my list. And OU plays – at Ole Miss, too. I mean, for Sooner fans looking to road trip, those are probably the two environments I would want to go to the most for a road game would be the Grove at Ole Miss and then go to Death Valley, which I would guess is probably going to be a primetime game there. Yeah, that would be pretty incredible. I would want to, I would want to go to Ole Miss, too, because just it's one of the few wet campuses in the country where you can take a Jack and Coke in class, no problem, if you want to. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's, I'm, I'm sure it's incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the tailgating there, Texas is going to have to step up their tailgating. OU is going to have to step up their tailgating to hang in the SEC. And it's getting worse than Norman. That, that's yeah, all. Like you got to pay oh a premium. Like you have to be rich as shit now to tailgate. It's bullshit. Right. Yeah, it's it's become a corporate sellout shit, and it's horrible. That's Every a whole member of the SEC day. is going to play either OU or Texas in uh, 2024. So uh, very, uh, very cool on uh, that front, how that all uh, worked out there. We'll wait and see what the Big 12 schedule looks like, but we don't even know what the Big 12 members will be in uh, 2024 quite yet. So uh, we'll see ultimately how that all plays out. Tom? um the uh, OU softball team, speaking of the Sooners, uh, dominating performance. Patty Gasso and company come away with the national title in the Women's College World Series. Uh, they swept that series with Florida State, only lost one game all season long, over 50 wins. Um, what a story. Patty Gasso, greatest softball coach of all time. She's got seven natties now, six in the last 10 years. That Oklahoma softball program just dominating – uh, that sport in the ways that we've seen the UConn women's basketball team, you know, Tennessee, um, you know, I mean, it, it's really a, a special time and, and an amazing accomplishment what Patty Gasso has done there in Norman. One of the best coaches, I think, in all sports. Oh, my, yeah, I mean, yeah, and don't, don't get me wrong. I hate to talk good about OU, but uh, what they're doing with the softball program there is you, you can't help but to give them hats off. You got to give the flowers where they're due because uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And just the, the way that they did it, lost one game all year. Um, and then, you know, to, to go out and do it the way they did it. I mean, in front of essentially a home crowd. Um, it's pretty incredible. Now, I know that their star pitcher is is leaving. 
Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Ball should go back home to Nebraska. But and you win two national titles, you want to go, you know, put Nebraska softball on the map in your home state. I, I, yeah. I hate it. You know, I mean, more her boyfriend her. goes to Nebraska, right? So, I mean, more power to her. And thank God she's getting, you know, thank God she's leaving OU. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> Um, and then uh, you got the College World Series starting up this week, Tom, um, with uh, TCU representing the Big 12. Texas came up just short. Uh, they'll be in it. ORU, Oral Roberts, also in it as well. Shout out to uh, the Golden Eagles for uh, making it there. Florida, Virginia, Wake Forest, Stanford, LSU, and Tennessee. Um, Tom, uh TCU, they did have they did get lucky that they did get to host the Super Regional last week that they weren't supposed to because uh, of uh, Indiana State having a special Olympics event that didn't let them host the regional. TCU ends up getting to host, but they took advantage of it. Now they're in the College World Series, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know a whole lot about TCU baseball because I don't, but I'll say this. Uh, hell of a year for that athletic department. College, you know, football playoff national championship game. Um, you know, they 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 won uh, you know, a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Jamie Dixon had a good squad this year. And then uh you're getting to the college world series and all that. I mean, an incredible year for TCU. And this is a familiar territory for them. I mean, of those three sports, this has been the one they've been the most consistent in. They've been to the college world series. Within the last few years, uh, they have a really good baseball program there. Watch out uh, for TCU here uh, as uh, they represent here in the College World Series. I mean, yeah, it is a hell of a year for them. Can you imagine? I mean, it's it's a – I'd say it's a great time to be a horned frog, but I would never want to be a horned frog. But um, for them, I mean, hell yeah. It's something about the purple schools this year. And then, uh, you know what, I like I said, again, I know it's Big 12 breakdown, but uh ORU in our backyard um uh, that's gonna be pretty crazy and I'm ready to see the jello shot challenge numbers for ORU and if I was gonna be in Omaha you bet your ass I'd be buying them I'd be buying those jello shots in Oral Roberts name I would go out of my way to be drinking jello shots for ORU now Rocco's there and as a former Omaha resident um I can tell you all about Rocco's. It's like four fifty for a Jello shot, Tom. Uh, Crazy, yeah. And they're pre-packaged. They used to be made fresh right there, but they're in such high demand that they can't keep up with it. And so they buy these pre-packaged ones, and they taste terrible now. They used to be good. Now they're bad. Um, but I, I hope. I I hope that people come through and represent for ORU. Same can be said for Texas Christian University, too. I, I hope those numbers are high for both those two teams. That's true. I feel like it's more acceptable to drink at TCU than it is at ORU. But, damn it, I would – if I was going to go there, I'm putting all my money down just to get ORU on the board. Yeah. That'll be great. So there you have it. That's our uh, Big 12 breakdown for this week. Uh, more to come. John Holt set to stop by. Coach Bo's going to be here. Our first draft of the season is uh, also on its way as well as we'll be 
doing the dinner party draft. All that and more coming up next. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Join us now on the Jones Report this week. Pleased to welcome back an old friend of the show from Fox 4 in Kansas City. Joining us straight from the set, John Holt is here on the program. John, always a pleasure anytime we get the chance to chat and hope you're uh, having a good summer. How are things out in Kansas City, man? Well, other than baseball, things are great. You know, uh, we're struggling a little bit out at the K with the Royals. Uh, way under what everybody expected. I don't think anybody expected a playoff team, but um, only 18 wins as we get together here on this podcast. Now uh, the worst record in baseball. I will say some of us take solace in the fact that just down I-70, the Cardinals are underperforming as well. So uh, I, I would rather see both teams playing well and having good seasons, but it is what it is. Uh, we're we're going to count it as a rebuild. Uh, just lost Vinny. Uh, uh, Pasquantino is out for the rest of the season. So maybe just as well, if you're going to have a guy like that go down, have it, have it happen in a year, you're not very good. So, but still uh, haven't had a chance to get out to the K yet. Still looking forward to getting out there for some baseball. I always love going out there. You know, John, uh, summertime in Kansas City, always nice. It's not like here in Texas where it's scorching hot, you know, and, and it's not like, uh, you know, up north where sometimes it gets a, a little too cold, even in the summertime. Kansas City, always nice. But then uh, the Royals, too, the, the upside about being bad, it doesn't cost you a whole lot to get to a game right now. Right. Tickets are plentiful. Uh, <laughs> even here at our own television station, we have some seats available out there. And I don't think I'm going to have any trouble this year. <laughs> Whereas back in the, you know, 13, 14, 15 seasons and even 16 as they – tried to repeat uh tickets were a little tougher to come by kansas city's a baseball town but it's really a baseball town when the royals are winning that's when the k is full right now the crowds have been pretty disappointing but hopefully you know maybe get string some wins together uh start playing bringing up some of the younger guys playing them as well you know we'll get folks out there yeah yeah for sure John, uh, I know you and I are, are so pumped, excited about Kansas football and, and everything that comes with that. But before we even talk about this season ahead, uh, we haven't had you on since uh, the bowl trip. When, uh, when you and I went out to Memphis, we met up there and, and, and got to see firsthand that game go to triple overtime. And, and wow. you know, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, for the folks at home, like you and I were – it looked like that game was in doubt. I think we were getting ready to leave the stadium – and then all of a sudden things just change. I mean, I know it didn't go our way, but that that was one of the best games I've ever seen in person. I, I was glad I went. We had a hell of a time there. Aren't we glad we didn't leave, right? I mean, right. it was a tale of two halves. Jalen Daniels brings the team back. He has a much better second half, brings the teams back. They get it tied. And then that thrilling, uh, what, three or four overtimes, 55-53 the final. Uh, heartbreaking way for it to end. But, you know, I, I think you and I were like, pinch me i mean i can't believe we're here we're playing an sec team we're giving them a game uh and it was just a thrill to be back in a bowl game for the first time gosh since what what the inside bowl back in the mangino days uh i think i think it's just for us it's signaled even with the loss that the program's headed in the right direction uh a great coaching staff they're already on the recruiting trail i see they have oh gosh uh, i think they're up to nine recruits already for 24 uh, the 24 season, obviously those are verbal commits. Things can change, but uh, they're putting together a pretty good program over there. So much so now that Travis Goff, the AD, is comfortable starting to roll out some plans for the stadium redo. They're already working on the locker rooms for the kids. They'll do that. That's the first phase. 
and then the west side and bring the fans closer to the field. You start generating a winning culture, it's easier to raise money. Sounds like that process is going pretty well. So, yes, uh, Memphis was fun. It was just great to be back in the postseason. And I realized, look, five and six team that, that, that played in the bowl, but it was an opportunity to add practices at the end of the season, keep the team together, get some more reps, and uh, for fans like you and I to travel. So it was a great time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, coming off a six and six season, uh, you get to that bowl game and everything, and 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 I don't know about you, but being around there, like, you know, not not only was it a, a decent weather day there in Memphis, so we got to just you know take it all in and tailgate and all that stuff ahead of time, but running into so many familiar people and so many yeah. people that have been part of the program, like you know, I saw Cotter Stanley that day and Keith Loniker and some of these guys. Uh, I, I, I know it's a small victory, the Liberty Bowl isn't any big time bowl or anything, but. I don't know about you. It felt like that we in this Kansas program had arrived of some sorts that day that, you know, that that I think that day kind of puts this new era of Kansas football kind of on the map of sorts was was that day. I know a lot of people point to college game day. That was a big deal and all that. But at the very beginning of the season and what we've talked about for the last several years, the goal has always been to get back to a bowl game. And they did it that day. They did, and aren't you glad we stayed till the bitter end, right? <laughs> I mean, how many fans left when they were down in the third quarter? It, it just it looked hopeless. I will say there are probably a lot of fans out there who left who will swear they were there at the end. But I know you were there. You know I was there, and it was a it was quite a way to end a a fun day for sure. Oh, it was. It was. And uh, some uh, some good uh, food and everything down there on. Uh, on Bill Street, it was a heck of a time there. And so now you look ahead to 2023, and I know the over-unders at like six and a half wins, but, John, you know, I, I look at it this way. I think you got anywhere between uh, seven to nine wins, I think, within reach here when when you got the best quarterback and the best running back coming back in the, in the entire conference here. I think with Jalen Daniels, if he can stay healthy, that's the key, I think anything's possible. Um can they win nine games? I don't know, but certainly seven or eight is within reach, and that generates even more excitement and gets you to an even better bowl, you have to figure. Uh, get to nine wins, and, and you know, that even opens things up a bit more. I, I, I guess having been a KU football fan for so many years, the expectations for me are, are I'll be honest, they're, they're kind of low. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think there's a lot – of good that can happen here. I don't want to get, you know, over the top and be disappointed, but uh, I do think a lot is possible with this team. You have a coach these kids are playing for. The practices, of, we hear of spring practices went great. Um, but but I think as, as we've learned, the college game, much like the professional game, it really comes down to having a quarterback. And KU, many believe, has the best quarterback in the league in the Big 12, and that says a lot. And when was the last time the University of Kansas, you could say that about the football program? Right, and a guy that is going to be a Heisman contender, uh, you know, one of the early favorites uh, to be mentioned there. Uh been a long time since we've had that. I mean, Todd Racing wasn't even a Heisman contender when uh, no. when he was in town. So No, and, and that's an example of, of where when you least expect it. You know, I, I don't think anybody expected Kansas to be that good back then. Uh, they pulled the red shirt off of him against that home in home game against Colorado, and he brought him back, and the rest is history. Uh, but Jalen Daniels has been legit from the beginning. 
Uh, he's a he's a quarterback who can do so many different things. In fact, we saw in that TCU game getting hurt. If he stays in that game, it's quite possible they're six and zero. Um, yeah, we'll never we'll never know, right? But uh, but what a what a run it was with him last season, and to have him get back in time for the bowl game, and the performance he put on in that second half was was amazing. So yes, pretty exciting to know that he's coming back for another season. Uh, I guess the NIL thing kicks in, and and that's a brave new world we're all dealing with. But happy to hear that it worked out for Jalen to stay at Kansas. Yeah, well, and and you mentioned the NIL thing. Um, you know, I, I'm sure your phone uh, has been hit up a few times, and <laughs> mine too by the collective. You know, to try to get donations and stuff like that. But I I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I know I'm not personally a donor myself, but I've been impressed whether it was doing what it take to to keep Jalen around or the basketball side, getting guys like Hunter Dickinson, whatever. I mean, the uh, the support, uh, not just in football, but in basketball too, uh, has been outstanding. Not, not only are we seeing these updates with facilities and all that to the university, but uh, the fans just directly being involved and, and keeping these guys around, bringing in new players. I mean, you, you can tell there's there's an invest an investment from the fans and the alum, uh, alums in uh, this athletic department. Yeah, and I mean, we – I don't know if we'll ever know, for example, what Hunter Dickinson is getting to leave Michigan to come to Kansas. Uh, it's just a – I use the term brave new world. I think it really is. I mean, the, the coaches are adjusting to it. Obviously, the donors are getting on board. Uh, it's it's almost like free agency, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it's, it's these kids reach a certain point, and with the transfer portal, they suddenly can put themselves out there. And if, if you're the team, as the Jayhawks were with Jalen Daniels, uh, if you're the team that has the player, you have to stay step up and, and, and make, make it happen to keep that player or they may find, you know, another place to land. I'm sure glad in football's case, Jalen Daniels stayed at Kansas. I think he wanted to stay at Kansas. I know there were overtures from the West coast where he's from, uh, but I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I think, I think it's going to make for an exciting football season. And I think he has an offensive line this year that's improved a more veteran line. I think protect him, keep him, you know, he, he's a dual threat quarterback. He's going to want to take off and run when, when the time's right. But, uh, you know, let's keep him healthy. That, that'll be the main thing. Oh, yeah. A guy like Devin Neal, too, a local yes. quarterback, the Lawrence kid. Um, you know, we, we heard when, when Devin arrived on campus, John, he said that he wanted to be a part of the change, be a part of the team that brought uh, this program back and be the face of it, you know, a, a local kid and everything. And and he's doing just that. Not only is he terrific talent, and I think he's going to play the NFL and everything, but uh, what what a story for a guy right there from Lawrence to be the uh, the, the face of all this. Yes, and and he's you know, that running back roster is pretty deep, and he'll be he'll be the lead uh, again. Keep him healthy; he could have another thousand yard season. It is fun to see the local kids do well. Uh, not since gosh Barry Sanders, maybe have we been this excited about a running back? Uh, uh, forgive me if I'm forgetting somebody in between there, but that's the name that comes to mind for me. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, not Barry Sanders. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, the set the record, Tony Sanders. Uh, Barry Sanders was another level, a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to see a local kid uh, do well, step up, and uh, that's a that's a pretty good combo in that backfield between uh, Jalen and Devin, and uh, a lot of yards to be had. Uh, and I think too, an offense that can do a lot of different things, you know, a lot of movement. There'll be a lot of opportunities to, to run and throw, although I think the running game will, you know, will be the basis for it. And if you can control the game and the game clock with the running game, you can keep other teams' offenses off the field. That, 
that'll be important when you start playing some of the big boys in the conference. But uh, I think those first couple of games will be interesting. Missouri State's down. They lost their quarterback. They've lost a lot on both sides of the ball. Illinois will be an interesting test from the Big Ten. Um, but but it's those first two games on Friday nights, I think you'll, you'll see the booth full. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, the atmosphere. It'll be great. And the, the Holt tailgate will be in full force. I'm sorry you can't be there to join. Well, I'll uh, I'll be there for the Texas Tech game. That's uh, that's right. the later in the season. Uh, it'll be a little bit colder. Won't be as nice yes. as the uh, <laughs> September football. But uh, John, in case people don't know, I mean th- this setup you got, you've been doing it for a long time, and uh, bringing in uh, your fellow KU fans and everything. I mean the the tradition. You've been been there for so long. Like you know, I I, I got to say, you know, John and I have seen a lot of bad Kansas football over the years. Oh, yeah, and and there's going to be people that have no idea in the next couple of years what what we went through and what we dealt with uh, enjoying some times like you've had at your tailgate here over the years. Well, and, and you, you're a young guy. This is kind of your first going from the, the valley to the, not the mountaintop, obviously, but right to, to a, a higher plane. I went through that coming out of law school at Kansas. I was on the seven-year program there, by the way. Uh, loved Lawrence and KU football so much I stayed around. Uh, but we went – to the Valley. And then Mark Mangino brought us up to the orange bowl, a BCS orange bowl back in the day when the BCS uh, was in existence. And, you know, what a ride that was in, in the 07 season, 08. And, and, you know, who we were like, can you believe we're here in Miami playing in a BCS bowl and, and winning uh, on national television? I think at that point, we all thought now the sky's the limit. You have a program that will be able to recruit, up against anybody or most anybody, certainly against your rivals in the Big 12. Uh, and we had one more bowl season after that, as I recall, the Insight Bowl. And, and then, obviously, the athletic director and Coach Mangino got crosswise. Things went downhill. Mangino's out. And it took years, more than a decade, for that program to recover. Uh, and now, you know, went through some fits and starts hiring coaches, uh, Charlie Weiss, Les Miles, uh, Terry Allen was the first coach coming out of the shoot. And he was a really nice man, but just what I don't think was quite ready. Um, Turner Gill, same thing. But now you have Lance Leipold, who's, who's been at, you know, a program that's not quite on the level of Kansas in terms of power five, but put together a great program there. And now he's brought that program to Lawrence. And you're finding out that that's really what it takes. It takes a program and assistant coaches who buy in and more money to pay those assistant coaches and coordinators. The recruitment is real now. You're competing against teams that you weren't even in the same ballpark with before. Um, and so, you know, that's exciting. And I think, again, I don't want to get too excited about where we were in 08 because that's we all thought we were on our way then. There'd be more BCS games. It wasn't to be. So sort of kind of, you know, jury's out. But I do think there's a level of excitement that is really fun, uh, to be around and to be a part of. And after being in the Valley a couple of times to say, yes, I proudly say, yes, I tailgate at KU football games, as you know, is, is pretty darn cool. Yeah. Uh, I think we call that cautiously optimistic. Uh, we'll, we'll put it in that category. Yes. For that program. But yeah, like we, we've, we've seen the bad days and uh, continue to hope that the uh, better days are still ahead for uh, this Kansas football program. It was exciting last year and, Definitely intrigued to see what's ahead. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you mentioned kind of, you know, going back a bit. Um, 
The Big 12 looking to potentially go back a little bit, bringing in Colorado as a possibility uh, here, and the rumblings are as loud as ever, and obviously they got Deion Sanders there now, but you saw firsthand what it was like when KU was playing Colorado every year in the Big 12. What do you think about the possibility of uh, bringing them back a familiar foe? Do you you like that idea? What do you think about uh, going back to Boulder for some road trips? I was actually kind of hoping you'd bring that up. Yes, I have been to a couple of games in Boulder or back in the day, uh, Kansas, Colorado. Um, it's, a, it's a great place to watch a football game, obviously, the Flatirons. Uh, it's just a it's a terrific atmosphere. Uh, Kansas was actually very close to an upset in one of those games. Uh, I'm excited. I hope I hope that's true. I'd also love to see Arizona. There's talk of Arizona coming into the, those two teams coming together. Uh, I think kind of waiting to see how the Pac-12 TV deals work out. But I would love to see Arizona in the conference, certainly for basketball's sake. Uh, Kansas is clearly a solid basketball conference, too. So two schools I would love to have a part of the conference and to have Colorado come back, would that would just be terrific. And I can't wait to get back to Boulder if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, and not only from a, uh, a historical sense, but a geographical sense, uh, you know, going to Denver and, and Boulder and all that, I mean, what what a beautiful setting that is uh, for oh, football. football. That, that, that 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 is Big Twelve country. They they never should have left to begin with. No, you know it's. It, it, I don't I don't want to overplay this, but I mean I I kind of miss our games with Nebraska. To be yeah. honest, we miss in this. I'm in the Kansas City metro area. We miss the rivalry with Missouri. Uh, it's still a rivalry, obviously, but a little bit different now. Uh, so you know I don't. We're not going back to the old Big Eight, even Big Twelve days, as it were. But a Colorado is a quality school certainly academically um a terrific location venue as you mentioned uh and really a, a coach that's the talk of college football right now and who's by all rights doing some some uh, great transfer portal work and recruiting beyond so there that that's another team that's going to be something a force to be reckoned with i think uh we'll see how this first season plays out but yeah i'd love to have colorado back and i mentioned arizona you know What's not to love about going down to games in Tucson? Yeah. Um, whether it's football or basketball, there's obviously a great rivalry, a great tradition between the two basketball programs. Um, and I think that would be a fun trip, a little tougher to get to, but uh, I think you'll see Jayhawks making their way, not just from Kansas, but you have Southern California Jayhawks who could make it over Phoenix area Jayhawks. I think, I think it would be a terrific addition to the conference. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it would be. It'd, it'd be great to have them on board. And, you know, in, in Colorado's case, um, they might be the in the new Big 12, KU's second biggest rival behind K-State, you know, of league members here. I mean, you would have instantly, I think that would be good for KU, that, you know, border crossover between the two as far as that goes, potentially. So, yeah. Uh, one more note on the realign- or the uh, the realignment front. I want to bring up here just uh, yeah. the basketball side of things. I know that uh, you know we we've talked so much about Colorado, and Arizona, but UConn and Gonzaga have been mentioned as basketball only members, or maybe even UConn as full time member. KU, in their case, uh, you know, I think they're in a different position than other Big Twelve schools of still being a basketball school first. I I, I don't know how the money works necessarily, but. I personally like the idea of going to Spokane or uh, going to Hartford and, and playing some big-time programs. I, I think that'd be great for Kansas. Competition makes everybody better. What's, what say you? 
Well, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And, and we have UConn coming into Lawrence December one, that's going to be uh, a fun game. And, and could it be potentially uh, a preview of the final four? Uh, yeah. We hope so, at least from the Kansas standpoint. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of all for that. And I do think you're going to see a decoupling perhaps along the way here as these conferences realign where a school like obviously Gonzaga doesn't have football. It's, it's a basketball program. Could UConn come in as just a basketball school? We've seen Notre Dame do that. Uh, and we've seen uh, other schools do that where they're one sport only or a major sport only. So you may see more of that. And I think, I think uh, trips to Seattle or the Pacific Northwest uh, trips to Hartford, which I assume it's a home and home with UConn. There might be that opportunity anyway. Uh, would be terrific, and again, you bolster the Big Twelve. The thing is, you want you want to be from a from a revenue standpoint, bolster the TV contracts. That's the deal, uh, and certainly recruiting as as you're as you're out there in the country, you're telling these kids you're going to be on national TV playing these kinds of schools. So yeah, I'm all for it. I think it'd be great. The ge- I think the the geographical lines are no longer in play. I, I look, let's face it, West Virginia has been a member of the Big Twelve for how long now? Uh, so yeah, I think I think you're going to see those barriers break down and. Uh, get used to traveling. Yeah, I think so. Let's transition now. I want to ask you about the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, Your world's kind of collided last week with that uh, White House visit. Uh, I thought that was one of the more memorable ones we've seen with uh, Travis Kelsey trying to get on the podium and everything. Uh, really cool <laughs> moment there uh, in uh, in our nation's capital for the Chiefs to get honored that they didn't get to do back in uh, 2020. Yeah, in 2020, of course, they, they, they won in Miami 54 over the Niners. And if there was to have been a trip to the White House, the pandemic quickly shelled that, uh, got home, had the parade. And then a month later, as you recall, Kansas City hosts the Big 12 basketball tournament. And it literally was shut down on day two uh, with the pandemic. And, and that was the end of that. So we felt fortunate that we got the Super Bowl in and then got the parade in. The Super Bowl 55 in Tampa was the pandemic bowl where I again helped cover the uh, the game for the chief or for the for our television station Fox 4 but in that case we only had one credential that was our sports guy who was up in the press box who couldn't even go down on the field post game everything was done by zoom so that was we ended up of course losing that game there was no parade doubt that there would have been a parade but uh, so the make good being able to to capture uh, this latest super bowl in the obviously in Glendale and be able to get to a parade, have a parade. And then uh, to get to the white house was pretty cool. I think not just for Kansas city, but for the hunts, the hunt family and the franchise and it's great tradition in general. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was outstanding uh, for sure. And, and, and sadly, you know, sadly I mentioned the hunt family, Norma hunt had passed away yes. just a couple of days prior to that. Uh, Clark and his family were not able to be at the white house. Obviously, they were tending to to family matters, uh, but I thought it was special that the team and the president mentioned Norma Hunt in their comments, and it was great that she was able to be a part of the Super Bowl win. Oh, no question, no question about yeah. it. Um, now, uh, the the mindset there in Kansas City uh, has kind of changed, right? I know I, I doesn't even feel that long ago, John, that we were sitting here, you know, complaining about the Broncos beating the Chiefs every single year and. The Chiefs couldn't get past Denver, uh, you know, uh, Peyton Manning and all that. And now, you know, the Chiefs have not only just dominated the division, but the two Super Bowls in the last few years and, and you know, the you know, having Mahomes and Kelsey and all this, like, 
the mindset in that community, I mean, there there is an expectation now uh, that there uh, hasn't been before. I mean, uh, expectations are, are going to be high every year now in KC. Yeah, you're you're starting. Everybody here is starting to think dynasty, right? If you could get back and maybe win back to back Super Bowls, that would be something. Even just to get back uh, back to back Super Bowls, as we've done once before, we didn't get it done, obviously. But but yeah, I think there's the expectations are very high, and why not? You have the best football coach in America, and you have the best quarterback on the planet. Uh, so expectations will always be high, and you have a general manager who seems to find a way to working with a salary cap, keep the pieces and the, the bright puzzle, put the puzzle together in a way that makes Patrick Mahomes and elevates his game. You, you've had some key losses this year. You've had some additions. Will they gel? Will they, will they come together? It remains to be seen. But based on this coaching staff, based on their track record, nobody here is saying, you know, doubtful. It's more like, why wouldn't they gel and come together and compete again? as the odds on favorite as Vegas has them to be back in the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'll tell you what, I, I've never been a part of covering a team like this where it's a year round thing. Kansas city, of course, hosted the draft, uh, which was a huge thing for the city and for, and for the chief's kingdom. But even the OTAs, the mini camps, yes. you know, we all hang on every, every word of these players, uh, you know, fans paying attention to what they're saying in the off season. Uh, as much as they do during the season. It didn't used to be that way, but it is now, and uh, certainly an exciting time to be a Chiefs fan for sure. It is. Uh, no, no question about it. Definitely exciting for this team and what uh, what they got going forward. Uh, that uh, opener against the Lions, uh, we'll be here before we know it. What a weekend that is. Like You have the Lions on Thursday night. You got the KU-Illinois game on Friday uh, John, are you pulling off the back to back? Are you going to both both nights? Uh, that, that that should be a, a heck of a sports weekend there. Yeah, you know, I don't know yet for sure what uh, what the coverage plans will be. I, we typically on Thursday night games, we're out live at the stadium beforehand. We won't have the game. Uh, Fox no longer has the Thursday night games, but we'll be out there at least covering it. And then uh, I already have Friday off. Uh, we <laughs> have our KC. We we uh, produce our KC end zone show. Uh, that Friday, so uh, I'll I'll be in to tape that, and then I'll head straight for Lawrence at the tailgate. So uh, exciting, exciting times certainly to be a football fan uh, here, whether you're KU, K State, Mizzou, because we all sort of rib each other about our college teams, but we're all Chiefs fans, so that's kind of fun. We all come together uh, for the NFL uh, fandom. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure, John. Uh, before we go. Uh... What's uh, what's going on with you at uh, Fox Four these days? Uh, what's what's going on at the network here? You know we're uh, we're just humming along. We're we're still uh, number one station in Kansas City when it comes to key demographics and excited. Uh, it used to be it kind of slowed down in the summer. It really doesn't anymore. Um, I'm also involved in a, a political show we we produce each week, so that keeps me busy year round. Uh, taking a break from the Chiefs right now. We'll fire that show up again in September, our KC End Zone program. Uh, so just I, I feel blessed to be a part of two things that are sort of opposite, polar opposites. But for me, sort of touch on two of my great interests, which is uh, the Chiefs and, and politics. And then just a, a great team I work with here. Uh, for those who happen to be watching the podcast in the area, they, hopefully they're viewers. Uh, we have a stellar morning show that knocks it out of the park. And uh, we're doing our part in the evenings as well. So. Good time to be in Kansas City and good time to be at Fox 4. Uh, yeah, uh, and you, you mentioned uh, the political side of things. Uh, 
I'll, I'll leave it at this. Going to be a very interesting uh, election next November, and, and even the primaries ahead and all that. Like you, you think? Chiefs being <laughs> nonstop. Uh, this uh, this political circus. There's something every day. You know, and that and that's on the national level. We're going to have quite the well. We have a, a fascinating Senate race shaping up in Missouri. We'll have a governor's race shaping up in Missouri. Primaries potentially in both. Uh, well, we will have a Democratic primary on the Senate side and a primary for the Republican governorship in Missouri. So even just regionally, it's going to be an interesting political year. And of course, uh, the sales staff loves that because they have to advertise somewhere. And the cash register rings during, uh, you know, general election kind of years. But but seriously, from a journalistic standpoint, it's it's a great place to be uh, for if you're interested in politics. No, no question about it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Plus, hopefully covering another final four Jayhawk basketball team, bowl bound football and then a Super Bowl again uh, come this winter. And a uh, little note out there. I, I don't know if, if you're aware, John, but the final four next year is. Uh, in Glendale, the same place Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So uh, get a little magic there already. So hopefully I, that uh, stays around for KU here. I told uh, a friend of mine the other day, I said, I'm I'm 1-0 in Glendale, uh, and I would love to go back and make it 2-0, uh, you know, come uh, come Final Four time, March Madness. But, uh, you know, one one thing at a time, the, uh, the Chiefs might have something to say about a road trip first if they could get – uh, let's see. I think we're talking Houston this year, right? Uh, for the uh, Super Bowl. Am I, Super am I right? Bowl. Uh, I know the college football playoff is in Houston this year. Okay, I, I may have my bowl games wrong there, but at any rate, we'd love to. We'd love to. Oh, Super uh, Bowl's in to, Vegas. Uh, Vegas. Arrowhead. Yeah, yeah. Arrowhead West. That's right. Uh, and and I would love to. That's another Chiefs road trip I need to make just as a fan is to go out there and see that stadium. I hear it's amazing. Uh, and as we know, the lore has it there's a Chiefs flag buried. Uh, somewhere in the base of that stadium, which was designed by a Kansas City architectural firm. And uh, apparently a Chiefs fan was working on the concrete crew and buried a Chiefs flag at approximately midfield. So uh, maybe that uh, uh, bodes well. It certainly has so far. We're 2-0 and against the Raiders out there. Uh, maybe that bodes well for a Super Bowl in Vegas, too. Maybe so. John, appreciate the time. Thanks, as always. Uh, yeah, man. We'll uh, talk again down the line. Looking forward to uh, seeing you out here in November. I'll definitely uh... – have a drink back at the uh, old tailgate spot. We'll have a, a frosty cold one on a cold November day for you, and you have safe travels. I know you're out and about covering racing and more, so be safe and stay in touch, my friend. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagcast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. You can also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, uh, how we doing? Uh, big birthday for uh, your son, right? 21, right? Yeah, the kiddo turned 21 over the weekend, and uh, the wife and I took him to the casino one night. That was interesting. Interesting. He was, he was the only one that won. Really? He won. Wife did okay. I lost my ass. Okay. So, yeah, par for the course. So but you made it up on the Nuggets, right? Oh, man, did I am. So... Turn into the Coach Bono's podcast this week, and we'll tell you all about. It. Okay, uh, you, you could just tell us about here, but you know, I, I... Uh, okay. In, in <laughs> short, when the finals began, I placed a, a large bet, large for me, okay, on the Nuggets to win. 
After game two, I placed the second bet that the, that the Nuggets would win in five. Okay. And then on what was that Saturday night, the night, the night before, so that was yeah, two nights, three nights, whatever it was. It's past Saturday night. Uh, you know, on DraftKings, they'll sometimes give you some early payouts. If you want to hit the early payout, you can take a reduced amount. Well, they know that the, the Nuggets are going to win, so they offered me a 70% payout. I took it. I then pocketed the 70% of my winnings, but what have been my full winnings? Then I took the original bet and laid it on Novak Djokovic to win the French Open with the Nuggets winning Monday night. And the odds were pretty fantastic. And then I hit that. So that was nice. Worked out nicely. Very good. Uh, Good stuff, Bo. Uh, let's start with, uh, Stefan Diggs. Um, what a weird situation, right? Um, to hear Sean McDermott say that he doesn't know where he is. He's concerned. His teammate said, oh, he was here today and he told us he was leaving. And then he does report and everything's okay. I know that wide receivers are more dramatic than any other position on the football field, but what a bizarre turn of events. And, I don't even blame Stefan Diggs here. I, I'm looking at the head coach. Like, how does he not go not know what's going on with his own team? Well, I don't even know that is the coach's fault. I, I this is one of the the, the weird players being weird because Stefan Diggs, you know, the, the Bills paid a huge price to bring him over, huge right. trade. Then they signed him to a big contract, so he's got a big contract now. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, what do you want? And I'm assuming he wants to be the highest paid guy at his position. And, you know, and I get it, you know, wide receivers are divas and they all want to be the highest paid guy. He knows Justin Jefferson's about to get paid as well. And Jamar Chase isn't far behind. But I, there's a part of me that thinks that he's doing this because he simply just wants to get, um, to get paid and get paid more because he wants to be the highest paid guy. And part of me thinks that he's doing this because he's unhappy and I don't know where, or or just doesn't want to be a camp. Just doesn't want to participate in camp. A lot of guys don't want to go to to, to football camp. I mean, it's just, what are you getting at? So why not hold out or why not do something? I don't know of any sides to blame. I certainly wouldn't throw that on the coaching staff because that's not who negotiates contracts. I I think this is something I could pretty, pretty, pretty well be easily communicated between the player and the team. So I'm a little, a little torn on this one. Usually I'm player. I'm a player's guy, but in this case, I, I don't know how I feel at it. If he's, if Diggs is going to be at camp now, then what was the use? I, I don't get it. I'm, well, I'm a little bit there were reports that it was a personal matter he was dealing with. Uh, but just the communication, like the fact that McDermott went in full panic mode, uh, and then he was there, it was like, was it, it was just bizarre. Like one of the strangest things you've ever seen. Yeah. Just, I mean, if he's got a personal issue, talk to your team, talk to your coaching staff, talk to your GM. Hey, I got something that's come up. This is what's happening. If it's something that's embarrassing, there's a way to do that as well. Um, but if it's a family-related thing or a business-related thing or a personal-related thing, you know, 
they're certainly not going to have a problem with him missing a practice or two. Right. This time. Be up front of him, you know, and then for McDermott to not know tells me that maybe someone else in the organization knew, but didn't tell him at the time. Well, yeah, Josh Adams said he knew and that it wasn't an issue. So where's, what's the deal with, with, with the coach not knowing? Right. You know what? I hope it's not part of a bigger issue. If this does escalate and he becomes a on the trade market, obviously we're a long ways from that point. But if so, I would have to think there's probably a decent trade market for uh, Stephon Diggs out there uh, right now with as many teams that are desperate for that wide receiver position. Yeah, he would find they the, the Bills would find no shortage of suitors with nice packages for a Stephon Diggs. Um. Another player that uh, also holding out on a mandatory minicamp, uh, but we know why, uh, Danell Hunter uh, with the Minnesota Vikings, their uh, Pro Bowl edge rusher. He's uh, evaluating his options and, uh, you know, is, is wanting to be traded. He and the Vikings are both, you know, looking at places he could potentially go. You look at the Vikings, they paid a lot of guys within their organization. They simply just don't have the money for Danell Hunter here. If they can get a second-round pick, a couple mid-round picks, uh, I think somebody's going to find themselves a pretty dang good uh, edge rusher here who's still got a lot of good years left. And the way he rebounded from that neck injury a couple years ago to the player he is today, uh, I I think he could be the difference in elevating a team, taking a step up to being a a lead football team. Uh, That much value he can bring to the table. What do you you make of Danell Hunter and this, uh, this trade situation here? To me, this speaks of how poorly the uh, Vikings really are at some things. I mean, they just released Dalvin Cook. You have this issue, yet they've paid Kirk Cousins however much money you want to talk about they've paid Kirk Cousins over the years. Um, to me, it's something where this is a player that can help you go to that next level, but are the Vikings really a contender? No. And, and I don't know that any team, and again, my thing is the Kirk Cousins thing. You know, if he's your quarterback, I don't think you're a serious contender. And, I, you know, if I'm a player who's in my prime and played at that level that he's playing at right now, I would say, hey, I want to be paid or I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be paid or I'm going to be welcomed and we'll make this shit work. Um, right. It looks like the, the Vikings are going to try to do something to get him out. So, their credit, if they can get that done, it'd be good. And it would be good for for the Vikings to try to stockpile some stuff for the future because until they make a decision on how they can improve the quarterback position, they're not real contenders in my book. Uh, so the trade value sounds pretty similar between Chase Young and Anel Hunter. Chase Young's a little bit younger, but he's got a more extensive injury history and Danell Hunter's got a better track record statistically. What guy, Bo, if let's say both trades are similar, their trade value, would you rather trade for? Would you rather have Danell Hunter or Chase Young on your team? There's more upside to Chase Young. I really believe that. But I think at the same time, the injury thing is going to be with Chase Young for it. So he at least goes a couple more seasons without getting hurt. Probably right now, would if it's similar, probably take Nell Hunter. But 
I, I see where you would go with Young instead. I, I That's a tough one for me. I, I think both are outstanding players. I think that you've got a lot better long-term, higher upside with Chase Young. But he's also the one that could bust easy, easier, too, because of the injuries. I mean, it's just that's been what it's been. Right. It's been constant. It's been it's been a constant theme in his career. Yeah. Um with the Minnesota organization, besides the Neil Hunter, uh Dalvin Cook, we mentioned uh his release and him finding somewhere to go. Um, still hasn't signed at the time of this recording. I, I thought his time for agency was gonna go pretty quick, but here he is uh kind of waiting out there. He's not gonna get the ten million dollars he was gonna make in Minnesota, but he might get seven or eight million and Bo, of all the teams out there, there's only one team that makes sense for a perfect fit for me. I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins. They're desperate at the running back position. He's a Miami native. They got the money to pull it off. The Dolphins are being aggressive. They're in win-now mode. If you're the Dolphins, what are you waiting for? Go make this happen, right? If you're the Dolphins, you definitely want to take a look at this. Uh, what could happen with the Giants if they ended up not signing Saquon Barkley to his, his – um, one-year tender. He doesn't sign that contract. I think that Dalvin Cook's got a couple of people he can go to still. And he has said publicly, and I just read this afternoon actually on Twitter, that he's saying he's taking his time to make a decision here. Um, You know, I think there'll be opportunities for Dalvin Cook to go somewhere. And I do think the Dolphins are a perfect fit. I agree with you on that. Isn't it crazy? Like, the carousel – of running backs right now, everybody's waiting to see who blinks first because you got Saquon, you got Dalvin Cook, and then Josh Jacobs, his situation in Las Vegas too. Nobody wants to pay these running backs, um, and they're all close to the same age. And now we're just waiting to see who's who's going to do it do it first. Uh, what who's yeah. what's going to be the first domino to fall here? I have no idea. I I, I have no prediction on this. I mean, Barkley's going to get all the way to the training camp without signing, if not nearly into this, near the end of training camp. I just don't. Well, seventeenth is the deadline for a long-term deal for Jacobs and, and Barkley. Yeah, and I think they'll both get all the way up to it, and they'll both. I don't think either sign a long-term deal. I think both of them end up playing on the one-year tender. They sign it the week before the season starts, and they play the one year, and then they're done. Um, but you're there right any that, chance either one of them sits out in protest? I don't think so in the end because a year away, you're a year older. You could also reverse that and say, well, yeah, but they got no carries that year. So it's like, okay, how many, you know, how many, how many runs do you have on the tires? How many mileage in the tires? Right. That's the issue with running backs. The NFL has really undervalued or they're underpaying the running backs, doing it on purpose, um, because they look at it the most as the most replaceable piece in the field. And most teams now are doing a committee anyway. So they don't have that that bell cow, you know, someone like Derrick Henry is, um, you know, something like that. And there's just so few of those. And if you're going to be one, you're either going to be just a straight powerhouse like Derrick Henry uh, or Jonathan Taylor, or you're Christian McCaffrey, right? Or Alvin Kamara, who is you know he's these dual style backs. And, and and I don't even know if Kamara's in that category really anymore. We just don't know because of his injuries. But um, you look at especially you know uh, McCaffrey's the other one, 
that you look at and go, okay, well, we got these three guys, and those three guys have value. But I'm not sure that anybody else really does. And it's wow. because they're they're right, they're easily replaceable. What's the difference between taking the guy who as a starter gets 150, 100, 150 to 180 carries, catches 40 passes? What's the difference between him and a guy who can run the ball 250 times? It really isn't a lot. So the guy getting the ball 250 times on the rushes is getting hit more. And he's taking on more, and that's hurting. These guys are getting hurt. They're slowing down younger. I mean, look what happened to Adrian Peterson. I mean, his last few years, he just dropped off the face of the earth as far as his speed. And I mean, that's the best back in the last, you know, 25 years probably. It, right. It's just – it's I mean, you can only get so many runs on those tires. Look at the Chiefs' backs from the, the Priest-Holmes era and just before that. And you can only get so many – there's only so much tread on the tire. And now that's what the problem with Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs are going to have moving forward. Dalvin Cook, I don't think as much. I'm a little more – I think that's more of a salary cap thing for the for the Vikings and, and Dalvin Cook having a couple of injury issues as well. The Vikings have made their own bet as far as I'm concerned. A lot of these issues they have. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kirk Cousins said that uh, he's going to play out the rest of his contract this year and uh, resume contract negotiations in March, which presumptively would mean that will make him a free agent next offseason. Bo, uh, you and I have said for a long time how much he was overpaid in Minnesota. This is Minnesota's chance now to let him walk and move on, right? You, 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 you got to finally let go, right? I think so. This guy has earned more money than he's ever really been worth worthy of. And I have a saying about Kirk Cousins. You've heard me say this before. I'll probably sit it on here. Every time Kirk Cousins gets a paycheck, he's stealing money. He is one of the most overpaid players in the history of the NFL. You tell me when he's been a worthy Super Bowl quality contender and starting quarterback. I'll wait. Never. Never. And the he's Vikings been paid like one. He has been paid like one. He wasn't he was paid that way in Washington. They let him go. The Vikings signed him to a fully guaranteed deal at the time. Then they bring him in for a second deal. And that was because they had nobody else. The Vikings have done a piss poor job and it's just time. It's just flat time. For him to go. And if you're Minnesota, I mean, I don't think any of us are expecting the Vikings to be very good this year. I think they're going to take a significant step back. They they got so lucky in so many games last year. And that defense was cheeks. It was it was poor. Uh yeah. if you if you're the Vikings, if this goes the way I think that it will go, I don't know how you feel, but they're, they should be in prime position to get one of those top quarterbacks in next year's draft. I, I think they're going to be picking within the top 10. There's a chance they're in the top 10. I mean, it, look, her Cousins is good enough to where you're just good enough to think you can be better, but he's not so bad that you're suck. He's like even Steve. And to me, that's the trouble with it. So to me, I would – 
you know, they may be in that top 10. It may be you have to make these trades for some of these players to get some picks to move up in this next draft. Because we've got a couple of quarterbacks in this draft. We know one's going number one. But after that, I don't know who really is going to be the guy that you're going to spend a top 10 pick. I'll know more in a few months, obviously. But right now, I can't I can't fathom that you're looking at the Vikings and going, okay, this is the guy. They did just draft somebody as well, didn't they? Uh, they draft uh, Hall, the uh, BYU kid. Okay, yeah. And and I am not. I have seen him play in passing a couple times. I haven't watched him like fully, like in a scout way of watching him. Um, what I have seen, strong arms, seems like he's makes doesn't make too many mistakes. But if he were a future starting quarterback, he would have been drafted like one, right? In this draft, so who knows? Um, I'll say this: you mentioned about Kurt being good enough at times, good enough to get the paycheck anyway. Barring a complete meltdown of a season, I, I still think he's a starter somewhere next year. He won't be probably not making thirty-five million dollars, but somebody's still going to give him a shot, right? Because there's teams that are desperate enough at quarterback. He's, he'll start somewhere, maybe not Minnesota, but still get a, another chance. Yeah. How old is Kirk Cousins now? 35. Okay, Yeah, I can see him holding out, getting a couple more years somewhere. You know, somewhere where you have a either a young player who's not ready yet, a starter who's injured, somewhere where there's a competition amongst two guys. I don't know, but I do think you're right. Your point of someone may be desperate enough to do this. I can see that. I see your point on that. I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think that would be the case, that we'll see uh, Kirk Cousins playing somewhere as a starter next year, but uh, we'll wait and see ultimately where uh, that ultimately uh, ends up uh, being there for uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, moving on now. Uh one thing that I, I found interesting, I don't, I don't know if you saw this this week, Paul, uh, Jags, their new stadium, uh, you know, is going to force them to uh, step away from their stadium for a couple of years while it's being renovated. And uh, it's going to look something similar to SoFi Stadium there. And I guess, you know, what for one, that means the Jags are staying in Jacksonville for now, that they're not getting that move to London anytime soon. But uh, as we've said previously on this show, if they're going to make that move, other teams have to make that move. And right now it doesn't appear to be that the NFL is ready for multiple teams in Europe. Um, but in the meantime, as far as possible locations go, Bo, there, there's, there's no perfect solution here. I imagine that they'll have a home game or two in London, but we've heard rumblings about maybe playing at Daytona International Speedway. That's uh, interesting. Maybe go into the University of Florida, which isn't very close to Jacksonville. It's still an hour and a half away. Florida yeah. State's over two hours away. Um, I know the Jags haven't been well supported over the years, but this this can't be good for a team that's on the up and up. This team's about to get, you know, they just won their division last year. They got a bright future, good young quarterback, good head coach, and uh, they're about to be orphans for the next few years. Yeah, so I was completely taken aside by the fact that they're getting a new stadium. Um, I guess it's a remodel of the current one, correct? Right. If they're going to gut it and they're going to rebuild. 
Basically, yes. And my understanding, the Khan family is putting up half the month as yeah. well. Um, I was surprised, like you mentioned this. I was surprised first that um, I always thought this team was going to be in London, so I didn't see them putting up any money to put a stadium up in Jacksonville. That doesn't make a lot of sense. The last is 30 of 30 second smallest market. It's behind Green Bay. Green Bay is basically Milwaukee. So even um, if you're going to stay in the U.S., stay not move to London, Jacksonville, like there's a whole lot of other markets you could go to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't see them moving in America. If they're going to move, it was going to be to London because of the Khan family's uh, other holdings over in England. But I'm surprised they got the funding. I mean, obviously the Khan family's putting up half. I don't know how they're getting the other half. They get it to the NFL, or they getting it from the local. They getting that from the state, or where are they getting it? From? I think it's come from local government. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of surprised by that. Now, the, your point about they're moving, they're going to have to move around. Uh, we heard, you know. I think you're spot on. You've got half your games are on the road already. They're going to play two in London. I think you're spot on with that. They're going to put them over in England twice. Um, It just makes sense. Then I think we'll see. It'll be like two back-to-back games for them there. That takes care of two of your home games. I've heard the swap, you know, playing at University of Florida. That's probably your closest solution. There's nothing else. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me they went to Orlando. And played at the old Gator Bowl. Uh, that's been redone that's, and refitted. That's they two and a half hours away. Yeah, that's where they had the Camping World uh, Bowl game each year. But it's been kind of refitted to put games in um, and some bigger events in. And then I heard the Daytona Speedway, which to me sounds interesting. It's huge. But how do you figure out? They'll figure this out. How do you figure out where you're putting? You put it in the middle, I assume, in so the infield. They have the 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 front stretch there has like over 400 yards of grass, and so you can put a football field right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you're going to have fans away that are sitting in the stands because you got a racetrack in between, and yeah. you can't put a whole lot of seating on the racetrack itself or close to the field. That's there's an optics issue with that. Daytona's about 90 minutes from Jacksonville. The thing that did intrigue me about that idea, though, uh, and this could be an experiment for the future, Bo, Daytona's got all that infield camping. Can you imagine getting to camp out there at the stadium before a football game and make a whole weekend out of it? To me, that sounds fun. It it would be, and I like your thinking, but you know what the NFL security and everything they go through and all the protocols they go through, they're never going to allow that. You don't think that they're going to allow the Jags to have camping there? No. I don't. Look, this is the same league doesn't want people tailgating at their games. They yeah. really don't. They really don't. And I mean, there's no tailgating allowed at the Super Bowl. And, and I grant this is the Super Bowl, but they really don't like that. And NFL security really wants to keep things as vanilla as possible in those terms. So I don't see them allowing that. Do I think it's a fun idea? Hell yes, it's a fun idea. But I don't see the league letting them do that. I think I they're going to end up playing in playing in, 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 in the swamp, playing in Florida when it's all said and done. I think, Bo, the Florida-Georgia game would be perfect at Daytona. If you want the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, uh right. Played at Daytona and people camping in the infield there. Yeah, they don't they don't call it that anymore, which is sad because I've been to that game. That game is a lot of fun. I went to that game when I was in college. It's a great time. 
Um, and that they played it in Jacksonville. So it's, yeah, I get it. It, it just, we're in a different time now. They're not going to allow it. The NFL is not going to allow that. But I do think it's interesting to see what happens. I do think you'll see the Jags. It's going to be two years. Is that right? Of this rebuild? Two years. Uh, the other thing with Daytona, it works out perfect schedule wise. Uh, they, they don't race there after August. So it's going to be their facility. They won't have any issues there. So it'd be a quick turnaround for like University of Florida or Florida State if they're trying to go from in a college NFL the next day. We've seen it. We've seen these kind of things before. I wouldn't even be surprised if you see them go to, and I know it's a long ways, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them play a home game in Atlanta or a home game in Tampa or a home game in Miami. It wouldn't surprise me to go to NFL stadiums to play their home games. You know, you've got the Dolphins are playing New England in New England. Jacksonville gets a home game against Indy in Miami. It, right. that, even that wouldn't surprise me. It's not optical or optimal, but it's, it is what it is. This is um, got the Khan family written all over it, though. Did not have a good plan on what to do for two years. I, I, and I not just, build a, just build a new stadium. You're going to spend that much money. It's $2 billion? Or make it, make, it a two, make it a two-phase project. Why don't you start when the season ends, do one half, and then do the other half at the end of another season? I mean, like... I. And sounds like something Shad Khan and his his kid would put together. So, yeah, one more NFL. It's, note. It sounds like a Tony Khan idea. Let's just say it out loud. It sounds like a Tony Khan idea to me. One more NFL note, and then uh, then yeah. we'll shift gears to the college side here. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins still waiting around to see uh, where he goes. Took a visit to Tennessee this past week. Sounded like things went good, but he left without a contract. Visiting New England uh, this week as well. Him and Bill O'Brien back together. We've heard reports that Bill O'Brien is all in on the idea of uh, reuniting, even after their rough ending and everything. Mac Jones is desperate for receiver help, but that might be the place where he gets the most money is New England because they have the cap space to do it, and they are desperate. They are desperate. They could definitely use him. There's already some familiarity. I That's a great spot. DeAndre Hopkins is going to take his time and make a good decision. And I would be very surprised if he makes a rush decision. If he makes a rush decision, it means that someone came to him with a long-term contract with too much money to turn down. Right. Otherwise, to me, I think you, you're you going to see him make a smart, short-term decision unless someone just says, hey, we got to make you the highest paid or the second highest paid guy in the league at this position. I have a theory on the Titans, uh, and I'm very curious what you think here, Bo. Let's say that he signs with the Titans. Here's what I think would happen. If you got to the trade deadline and the Titans were bad, I think then it's a fire sale. I think they could trade off Tannehill, trade off Derrick Henry, trade off uh, DeAndre Hopkins, keep about everybody – Trade off everybody but A.J. Brown if they're bad at the trade deadline. If they're solid, continue that division, then they go all in and see if they can make a playoff push. But I could very well see a baseball-style fire sell, them sign D-Hop, and then trade him a couple months later. I could. You said it just right. That's a baseball-style signing. That's one of those, we'll sign the guy. If we're not there, we'll flip him for whatever we can get. 
And, and but they it can has even to be- tell them that up front potentially. Like, hey, we yeah. could position you to potentially be on a contending team if this doesn't work. Yes, and they could. And at the same time, they could also tell him, we won't sign you to the long-term deal. So you can have this option open. Plus, we know that Justin Jefferson is about to get his money. We alluded to that earlier. We know that Jamar Chase may be getting some money soon. That can be even more positioning for DeAndre Hopkins this time next year to get even more money. Right. So that's something that the Titans can be selling in that deal as well. To say, hey, yeah, New England might pay you the you know top five at this position now, but the top five in six to eight months may look totally different. And here you'd have the flexibility. We'll make you one of those top five this season, and then you can go back in. We'll write in the contract. We can't can't uh, franchise tag you, and let's go. Yeah, if, we, if this thing works, you're here. If it doesn't, we'll get you where you want to go. Right. Yeah, that's a brilliant so. idea, and that would be a way that I think the Titans needed. You said it right. You said it best. They need to explain that up front and say, "Here's what our plan is." That's the, that's what he's looking at right now. He's looking for best fit and best money because he's in the unique position where he can ask for both. And. Teams get desperate enough towards trade deadline. They can actually get some value for DeAndre Hopkins, comparably speaking, when the Cardinals couldn't get anything in a trade and had to release him for nothing. So it's all about timing sometimes. uh, Boa to the NFL, to the uh, college football side now. Uh, Texas Tech announced that they're going to induct uh, Mike Leach into the Ring of Honor. And, you know, rest in peace. We love Mike Leach and miss him dearly. And, going to be a sad college football season without him no question about it but i gotta say as, as much as I, I like to see leach respected and all this doesn't this feel shallow of texas tech all these years later still never paying mike leach they're not paying him his estate the money he's owed here i mean if i'm with all due respect here don't don't get me wrong here folks if I'm telling Texas, if I'm the family of Mike Leach and all this, like I'm telling Texas Tech to just F off right now. I don't disagree with you. Um, I would think that Texas Tech has, if they haven't already, they've done something with the estate and the, the family. The, the We the haven't strips. heard anything. Not saying they haven't, yeah. but we haven't heard anything. Yeah, we don't know. So I would assume that there's been some kind of contact there. Otherwise, it's very um, self-promoting and, and self-absorbed to do that. I would make the assumption that somehow the the estate of the family of Coach Leach um, is, a, is a part of this in some way, shape, or form. If not, I would have a lot of the same issues that you're saying. If so, then great. He's certainly deserving of the recognition there. I mean, to me... Mike Leach represents the best era, that error, era of Texas Tech football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on the same page. Uh, he's incredible, truly one of a kind, and certainly going to be missed uh, in this game for sure. Uh, Mike Leach uh, on that front. Uh, Bo, the uh, SEC schedule uh, for next year. We know the opponents. 
everybody is going to get Oklahoma and Texas one way or the other. Um, and as I pull this up in real time here, folks, uh, comparing the two, Oklahoma and Texas side by side here, Oklahoma gets Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee at home, Texas at you know, Red River, and then they get Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou on the road. Texas gets Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State at home. They travel to Arkansas, Red River in Dallas, travel to A&M, and then travel to Vanderbilt here. Uh, what do you think about uh, what Oklahoma and Texas got with these schedules here? Um, you know, this is interesting because it looks like so they've avoided a couple things here. I think that Oklahoma, I mean, take out the Texas-Oklahoma game, because that's going to be a neutral site basically in Dallas. Oklahoma has home games with Tennessee, South Carolina, and Alabama. Good they get Alabama at home. Um, Texas avoids playing Alabama, while Oklahoma gets both Alabama and LSU, but they, they get LSU at LSU. But the other road games, Auburn, Missouri, and Old Miss. So even though Oklahoma plays both LSU and Alabama, they get them – uh, they get a little more of a cupcake schedule in there while Texas has no Bama, but as Georgia, uh, which is at a home for them, A&M, and Arkansas. So I won't sleep on Arkansas. Plus a home game against Florida and Kentucky. I think the harder schedule is Texas's schedule, even without Alabama. I agree. Because Georgia is more of a threat than Alabama right now. I think so. And even though they dodged both Alabama and LSU, I think adding games with Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, and AM being an in-state deal. And that on the game, road, too. On the road. I was going to say on the road at that college station. That's going to be difficult. So – yeah, I think that in the end, I think that the better schedule is Oklahoma. Um, if you were going to sit here and say who's going to win or who's going to lose, well, Oklahoma looks like with the eight games you got here, you're likely to go six and two, five and three at worst if Tennessee gets you. But you got Tennessee. That's that's assuming both teams were to win in an Oklahoma-Texas game. Uh, you can't do that, but I'm assuming that. Just taking the other ones aside. But with Texas, at Arkansas, is going to be a hard game. We already talked about Oklahoma. At A&M, is not, not going to be an easy one. Then home games, again, those three, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia. I mean, that's that's rough. That's, that's a lot. You know, I know a lot has been made about the SEC going to an eight-game schedule and not going to nine, uh, but they did it based on – you know, a negotiating ploy with ESPN, you know, what made financial sense yeah. uh, with them, with ESPN not giving them more money. They did what was in the best interest in the league, and eventually they'll go to nine whenever ESPN pays them the money to go to nine. Yeah. But with that said, I, I still look at that's tough. You know, Alabama, LSU, uh, you know, Texas getting Georgia, A&M and all that. When – this begins in 2024. That'll also be the first year of the 12 team playoff. We just talked about Oklahoma and Texas schedules. You look at the rest of them around the league, everybody's got some tough games. In the first year, the expanded playoff with what is it like, you know, 
five or six wild card teams in the new playoff, there's going to be a strong case for the SEC when you look at that schedule, even with it being eight teams, that, hey, our teams are battle-tested. They might have a couple losses, but they played the best teams in America. They deserve a seat at the table to still be in this playoff. Yeah. Well, I agree with you on the playoff piece. I mean, there's going to be a couple – there's going to be a couple three-loss teams that are going to say, hey, what about us? You know, especially if they schedule a non-con game that first week. Uh, you know, for instance, this 2024 schedule, have you seen a couple of the non-con games these teams, people, these teams have? LSU's yeah. playing SC. Right. Week one. So LSU's got an un- unbelievably hard schedule. They lose three games. Let's say they lose to Bama, UFC, and Oklahoma. They run the rest of that schedule. They gotta get considered. Right. Um, you know, you know Georgia's gonna play Clemson or somebody. I don't even know what their schedule is, but they've got somebody lined up for that beginning of the season 2024 game. Texas Everybody knows. Yes. I mean, again, great example. So you're going to have someone drop three games and still make the playoff in the SEC. Now, to the ESPN piece, them not paying for a ninth game. Huge mistake. Think of it this way. What games are they going to have? They're going to have the non-con game. They're going to get this, you know, Georgia against Georgia Tech or – they're going to get Oklahoma against, you know, directional school or any of these schools against the directional school, you know, on ESPN plus or on the SEC network. When here's some of the games they could have added. They could have added Florida, Texas. They could have added Oklahoma, Arkansas, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas, you could have added. Oklahoma to that. Again, this these are just the extra games you could have had. Um, Florida, as I'm looking at this, they get, again, Florida-Texas would have been a game. Georgia has Georgia-Oklahoma. That would have been the ninth game. I, I, I think mean, that's... Everybody's that, going to the SEC. Everybody's Going to the SEC, I think that's short-sighted. Greg Sankey knows exactly what he's doing. He's playing the long game and all this. The mistake was ESPN here. The SEC, oh, SEC, okay, fine. We'll play eight games, and then you'll look back. ESPN just say, you know what? Yeah, we should have done that. We'll pay you more money to play that ninth game. Like, I, I do not blame Greg Sankey for the decision they made. This is a business decision. Yeah. I mean, think about it. They're going to get a Alabama versus Troy game on ESPN Plus when they could have had Alabama Texas, right? I mean, that's just bad business. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, just paying the money, paying the money because you'd have made it back on those that extra game you get that upgrade in game is going to be worth so much. You can move it to ABC, put it on ESPN, ESPN2. You're going to have a shitload of people come and watch those games. I feel like, Bo, the soft excuse is blaming the SEC here. The educated response is, no, this was good business from the SEC and a mistake by ESPN. Yeah, this was this was ESPN being cheap. And maybe that's because of what Disney's telling them to do right now. 
Right. It could be some of the cuts that Disney's making. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes at ESPN. We know there's some layoffs coming. and We've already heard some of the names that are going to happen, a lot of the things they're doing. And now ESPN is trying to figure out if they're going to be in the NBA business moving forward. they got to make that decision pretty quick. And they the, may have thought the SEC was bluffing here too because everybody assumed yeah. they'd go to nine games. Yeah, so if you – if there is a if it's a money saving situation, I think ESPN made a mistake. But there's a lot of reasons why you should have done this, and only a couple that I could think of why you don't. Right. Uh, Texas and Texas A&M coming back, big deal. Going to Kyle Field and everything. Uh, that's going to be an incredible atmosphere on that Thanksgiving night there, and and and. I know that I would have loved to see Oklahoma and Texas State in the Big 12, but I think that's a big win for all of college football, have that rivalry back. Yeah, I do. I agree with you 100%. It's, you know, it's rivalries are what college football is all about. When it's all said and done. That's what's going to bring bring people to the stands and bring people to the – because eyes to the TV. Anytime you can do something that's going to create or – continue high-level rivalries, you should absolutely do it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one final note before we uh, go here. The Big 12 uh, looking to bring a bowl game to Mexico City um, every year. And then obviously we know about the basketball deal that uh, they're going to have an annual basketball game. Uh, in, in a, or Actually, it's a, a bowl game in Monterey is what they're looking at. Basketball game in Mexico City. The basketball game is going to begin in 24 with KU in Houston, men's and women's. And they're looking at the bowl game being about 2026. Brett Yormark uh, trying to find any ways to create revenue, expand the brand. I'll be honest, I'm surprised, Bo, that we haven't really seen much of college football at all really try to tap into the market in uh, in Mexico or, or, uh, or Canada, for that matter. We've seen the Big Ten deal in – in Ireland or the Pac-12 in Australia, um, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of college football fans in Mexico, too, that would love a game. I think a lot of people are worried about destinations when it comes to that time of year. Going to Canada is not the best idea in the winter. Right. Um, not, I mean, you can find a dome to play in. There's plenty of them. Or an early season kickoff game or yeah, something. Yeah, but to go play in Monterey for a bowl game makes a lot of sense to me. Will the Big 12, I mean, I would still have a representative in there. Will this be a Big 12 versus Big 12, or would it be the Big 12 will sit? No, they're, they're looking for a, a – they want to be partnered with a Power 5 conference in this. Okay. Yeah. Boy, if you're the Pac-12, you got to beg your way into that. If you Really, you got to beg your way into it. Like, hey, we'll give you – you can take Colorado. Just let us come yeah. to the bowl game. Yeah, give us the ball game. We're doing – as long as it isn't our champion, you can have anybody you want. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just it's revenue. And that's what it is. It's revenue and building the brand. And think about it as far as Monterey is a place where you could go that time of year and you could go and enjoy a, a vacation. That's what bowl games are always about. It's about going somewhere with your alma mater, seeing them for two or three days. You go to the different bowl game stuff. You try to enjoy the city. Go to the game. Yeah, you know, I would do model. Yeah, I would. I would be a, for me. That'd be a blast. I know some people are scared of that idea. I'm not someone who's scared about stuff like that. So, I would do it in a heartbeat. 
Well, before we uh, move on and get to our draft this week, uh, what's on the podcast? Uh, we just got recorded. We're going to be talking. We're going to finish up on the uh, NBA Finals and everything that happened there, the, the Game 5 and the championship for the Nuggets. And then we are going to go hard on the Kansas City Royals. What? And, and, we're, and this, this is what we want to talk to you about. Why are there Royals fans? I'm one of them. But why are you still around? Why? Linked about it. I would say I'm around because uh, I am still uh, reflecting on the good times that were in 14 and 15 and hope those times come back. And we're going to talk about how that's pretty much all the good times for the last 30 plus years now. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk about how the ownership now wants a downtown stadium, a downtown, a downtown ballpark. You know why? I, I think it's a good idea, but right now I don't think they're deserving of it. Uh, this is the worst team in baseball, and that says a lot when you figure how bad the Oakland A's are. But the Royals now have a worse record than them. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this, and, and I, you'll find it interesting. I think we did a lot about the Royals, Ellen and I did, and where they are as an organization and where they need to desperately and direly improve all around. One more note too. And then we'll, then we'll uh, get to the draft segment. Have you seen this baby Gronk kid? I've, I've heard the stories. I haven't seen him yet. Okay. You're going to hate that dad. Probably. I've already heard some things I don't like. So like, I wish the kid nothing but the best. He's 10 years old. He's done nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. But that dad, like, he can he can go to hell. Yeah. There was once a young man named Todd Marinovich. Look him up. Yep. That's oh. what everything from what I now again, I don't know firsthand. I've only heard these things in passing on via social media. But if this is what I've heard it is, this is like another Todd Marinovich situation, in which which case I hope a dad gets hit by a fucking truck this week. Give the kid a chance. Hey, I, I just am not for 10-year-old kids being pimped out like this. That's what it is. He's wearing the tattoo sleeves, too. Yeah, I just I, – now I will say uh, – so I was – you might get a kick out of this. So, you know, my son umpires baseball. And I went and watched him umpire a couple weeks ago. He was umpiring a couple of high school games. And I found it hilarious. The high school kids – have got the sleeves, they got the oven mitt, you know, talking about the oven mitt, the sliding glove. Um, they've all got those. But then last week I was watching my son, he was doing like a a U16 game. These are all 15-year-olds, 15 and 16-year-olds playing. And they all got the the, the pulled up the sleeve thing you're talking about. And they've got the uh, uh the snapback hats and We've all got the oven mitt, and I'm like, all right, we're taking it a little too serious now. I get it. And I guess, you know, it's the Deion Sanders thing of, you know, if you look good, you play good. If you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. And I get it. And I guess it makes you feel like you're something. I can't speak for kids nowadays, but I do think some of it's a little bit ridiculous. I think from what I understand with this baby Gronk thing, I probably would not be um, very pleased as a father to see some of these things I, I hear about in this man. 
Yeah, well, I guess he uh, he rizzed up LSU's most famous athlete, uh, Livy Dunn. Uh, that was one of the big things that uh, that came out. Uh, like, yeah, I, I'm I'm done with Baby Gronk, and yeah. it just started. Uh, Did you say I, Livy Dunn's LSU's most famous athlete right now? Joe Burrow's more famous than Livia Dunn. No, 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 current athlete. Yeah, Joe Burrow is a current LSU athlete. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean she's she's more well known than Dylan Cruz and a couple other people. Yeah, yeah, Angel and more even more than Angel Reese too. Yeah, so yeah. I get uh, to meet Angel Reese next month. I'm so I'm thrilled. Really? I do. I get to meet Angel Reese next month. So I'm looking I'm forward like to Angel that. Reese. Yeah, what's that? I I'm, like too, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. I get to meet her. I, I'm looking forward to it. So go Tigers. Yeah. Go Tigers. Yeah. Bo, so. Uh, yeah. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week. You're going to stick hey. around uh, for the uh, the draft segment. It's going to be a lot of fun here coming up. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it, bud. All right. It's that time of year. It is draft season. Coach Bo sticking around with us as for the next several weeks over the summer months, we bring you a draft where we choose a event, an item, whatever it may be, and we each get six options to put together the best roster we can. And so the participants for uh, this week's draft, yours truly, Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges is here, and Coach Bo is here as well. Boys, uh, our first draft of the year, we are going to do a dinner party draft uh, where we each get six people, living or dead, doesn't matter, to invite to dinner. Uh, and this is how you see fit. You can invite anyone you want. Obviously, we all can't take the same people, this being a steak draft, but uh, that's how we'll do things. We did a uh, drawing before we started, spun a wheel, and Coach Bo's going to get the first pick, Tom's going to get the second, and I'm going to get the third, but it'll be a snake order after that. Tom, before we get started with this draft, uh, I'm sure you've been to din many dinner parties over the years. What uh what 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 kind of theme or what, what do you look for in a good dinner party? Um, a little bit of everything, you know. Everyone is going to have their own specialty of somewhat, but I'm going to take this draft as maybe not a roster to please everybody. You know, I'm not people pleasing with this draft in some way. If you agree with my picks or enjoy them, then that's fine. But I'm 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 doing this one as a if it was just Tom going to dinner and had to pick people who I could, you know, dead or alive pick people, I'm going to have the best damn dinner ever. And not, not in anybody else's thing. And oh, I want to go to that. Cause it doesn't, I don't care what anybody else wants to go. Cause they wouldn't be invited. It's just going to be me. Uh, Bo for your dinner party, what would be on your menu? Ideally? Well, so I had a, a, a theme idea at first. And I decided to scrap that. I was going to do an all LSU players dinner. And we were, of course, going to make Cajun food. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, but I decided against that. And, um, but what would I do? I'd lay a little barbecue on, you know, little, some ribs, brisket, something. We, we'd have a barbecue at my place. Okay. All right, Bo, uh, you are now on the clock. You have the first pick as you get to officially kick off draft season this year, and uh, you get to invite your first guest to uh, your dinner party. Who's it going to be? I'm going with deceased. I'm going with George Washington. Okay. 
I'm sure he's got a few stories to tell. It's, it's, you got to have people who are going to have some stories to tell. That's, that's for sure. Hey, George Washington's off the board with the first overall pick of the dinner party draft. George Washington is headed to a Coach Bo's house. Tom, uh, second pick. What are you doing here? I'm going to go with deceased as well. And this, you know, this has been the answer to my question. If I could meet, have dinner with somebody dead or alive, this has been my one of my go-tos for a long time. Uh, I'm taking Frank Sinatra. Good choice. That is a good pick. Uh, we're off to a good start to this draft. Uh, my pick, uh, I get back-to-back picks here. I am going with somebody that is alive, um, very much alive. I think he might be one of the funniest guys on the planet. He's got all sorts of stories to tell. Everybody oh. wants to talk and meet with this guy. Charles Barkley is my first oh. pick. Sir Charles, you are more than welcome to dinner. And... I don't know how much food is going to be left by the time Sir Charles is done, but uh, he's certainly going to make it a memorable time. Uh, Sir Charles. Hello, that's a terrible, that's a terrible, terrible, crazy knuckleheaded, terrible pick. You ain't going to have no food left over. You know you're going to bring Shaq with him. It's a terrible pick. <laughs> that's not a bad joke there. <laughs> I can only do that say terrible <laughs> or terrible. Terrible. Uh, next on my list, uh, I'm going to go, I need a little entertainment, but also a storyteller and, uh, somebody that, uh, I've admired in my entire life. Uh, he's been dead my entire life though. Uh, I, I would love just to sit down with him. I've even been to his old house. I'm going Elvis Presley with, uh, this pick. Elvis was a fascinating individual beyond just the music, but the movies, his career in the military. Elvis is uh, my pick here. Uh, Tom, you're uh, you're back on the clock. What are you doing here? I thought you were going to take him with your first pick when you said storyteller and one of the funniest people on the planet. And I was like, God, no way he's going to take him with his first one. And I'm glad you didn't because I had these two back to back. He's one of my favorite people of the last year for sure. And I've known about him for a while. Um, but I would love to have a conversation with him. I'd love to have him on this show. Uh, I'd love to sit down with him for an hour I'd love to sit down with him for a couple hours. I'm going Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn. Okay. Theo Vaughn. Okay. Um, Bo, who's your next pick after George Washington? You got back-to-back picks here. Okay. So I've already got the father of America. And and you know there's going to be great stories there. But you know what we need? We need some, I don't want to say female company, but we need a, a beautiful lady, someone who can represent, someone who can p- bring some light to the room. And I have a really, really hard crush on her, so I will take Scarlett Johansson. Ooh. Ooh. Scarlett Johansson. Uh, everyone's going to want to come to your party now. Yeah. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, a uh, phenomenal pick with uh, that selection. Who's your next pick, Bo? Okay, so I love you. I love Tom's pick of Frank Sinatra. I, the great pick. And and I, I wouldn't have brought Sinatra because I, you know, I want to try to get the girl myself. And and you know, it just you're not gonna win with that one. I, I love Frank Sinatra, but I'm gonna go with another one of those types, and I'm gonna go with one of his rat pack friends, and that's Dean Martin. Ooh. Oh. Okay. That's a solid one. 
So Bo's got George Washington, Scarlett Johansson, and Dean Martin off the board. Tom, uh, your next pick here. I'm going to make things a little bit interesting. I'm going to take a woman who is deceased. Um, and the, my first guest and this woman have a history together. So make things a little bit interesting, especially after I bring them back from the dead. Um, I'm going Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Um, if she would have been at my party with, uh, with Elvis, that could have been very interesting. Uh, but she's gone. That, well, that and the, her and Frank Sinatra, I think, had a had something. Maybe not. Maybe not like Elvis did, but they. Well, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe had an affair with JFK. I mean, who she's hasn't? Married, she had an affair with Joe Right. Um. The next pick for me, I, I'm going to go with. Uh, this is like Tom's biggest crush, and she is attractive. Uh. She is aged beautifully, like fine wine. Uh, and she's funny, too. I'm going to go Jennifer Aniston with this next pick. I think I would be honored to have Jennifer Aniston at uh, my dinner party. So we got Charles Barkley. I got Elvis Presley. And we got Jennifer Aniston. My, my next pick, uh, you want to talk about a guy that can own a room. Um, and, you know, he's one of the biggest stars of our lifetime. I'm going Tom Cruise. I'm uh, I'm taking Tom Cruise with this next pick. So I got Barkley, Elvis, Jennifer Aniston, and Tom Cruise. Tom, you're back on the clock. You know, as as a uh, as a music guy, and you could probably – Jones, you probably know what's coming next. But just as a music guy, um, I, I would be – I'd be ashamed if I didn't make this pick. I have to make this pick. It's going to be John Mayer. Okay. What would you ask John Mayer? Uh, I'd I'd ask him a lot of things. I'd it, it, as bad as it sounds, I could I could probably pick John Mayer as all six and still not have enough time at dinner to 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 pick his brain. Bo, back to back picks for you. Okay, you guys, um, I like the Elvis one. I, I do. I like that one. I don't know about the John Mayer. I don't know about Jennifer Anderson. I think it's way overrated. Whoa. And Tom Cruise, I don't want to hear about Scientology. I, I just never <laughs> been a fan. Never, never been a yeah, fan. Yeah, Bo's there is more like Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jennifer Anderson, that's, that's college age for me. The You know, like Friends was college age. Those yeah, are the college even age. Even <laughs> The one that I came up with, I was thinking about this a little bit ago here. I got oh my, lost my list for a minute here. All right. Um, I wanted to also go music on one. It's someone I thought would be interesting. John Lennon. Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. That's a solid one. Uh, and who are you going with next? Oh, I got it. I got back to back here. Okay. The next one, no one's picked a sports person yet, so I'm taking the best one. I took Charles Barkley. Well, yeah, okay, I guess that's that's true. I'm taking a better one. I'm taking Muhammad Ali. Okay. Not bad. All right, Tom, uh, your next pick. Let's see. I'm trying to think which 
which route I want to go here. I, you know what? I think I'm going to go. I've got two music people. I've got a comedian. And I've got a model. And I think another super interesting one would be um, not a musician, but more like a poet. I'm going to go Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Okay. Maya Angelou. That's, uh, that's creative. That's thinking outside the box there. Uh, so, everything. Tom, you got, you'll have a one more pick after I make my final two picks here uh, as I wrap up my draft here. So, so far I have Charles Barkley, Elvis Presley, Jennifer Aniston, and Tom Cruise. Uh, I'm going to go with my next pick. Uh, I'm going to go with my my childhood crush. Um, still incredible to this day. I think she's sneaky funny, too. Uh, I'm going Selena Gomez uh, with this pick. Uh, I think I would love to have her over for dinner. And I'll be my, my, my date at the dinner party. I'll invite her. And then my, my final pick. Uh, I'm going to go with the, he's an everyday man, an athlete. Everybody loves him. Um, he fits in every scene he goes, he could party and have a good time, but he can be classy too. I'm going Dale Earnhardt Jr. With, uh, my last pick, uh, there I'll, I'll invite Dale Jr. Over and, uh, he'll be, he'll be great to have at the party and fit right in with the rest of them. So those, uh, those are my picks there, Tom, your final pick. So hard, hard pressed here to pick one. And if I could add a seventh, these would be my next two. But I can only add one for the sake of not being a Tom. Both are Tom picks here. But for the sake of not going full Tom and staying away from the Spurs, because if it was my up to me, I'd pick Popovich, Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, and I'd be happy right there. But. For the sake of not going full time, I will go ahead with the last pick on my dinner party, and I will take Matthew McConaughey. Ooh. I will take Maddie Maddie. All right, Bo, your final pick. All right, I'm picking one more person who's alive. And, uh, you know, I took the first president of the United States, but then I'll take the best one of my lifetime, and I'm going to take Barack Obama. Heck yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. If there's any living person that I would want to meet, it'd be Barack Obama. Yeah. So, to recap the draft, uh, Team Jones is a Charles Barkley, Elvis Presley, Jennifer Aniston, Tom Cruise, Selena Gomez, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Coach Bo's team is uh, George Washington, Scarlett Johansson, Dean Martin, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, and Barack Obama. Thomas's team is Frank Sinatra, Theo Vaughn, Marilyn Monroe, John Mayer, Maya Angelou, uh, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. Tom, uh, your reaction to uh, our first draft? Who do you think won? I think they're pretty solid all around. I think I think they are. Uh, we are all very alike people. That's why we do the show together. But we are all very different people. And so I, I think each team represents – or each team here. Yeah, each team. Each dinner party represents uh, each person's personality pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. Um, Bo, what uh, besides your own, what team do you like better between mine or Tom's? 
I like some of the choices on both. Love the Frank Sinatra pick. Love the Elvis pick. Both those are both two people I would have taken. Um, Selena Gomez, not a bad pick. I actually have not met her, but I've been close. Like I've been in the proximity of her. She's yeah. very cute. She's very sweet. Um, you know, I t- Jennifer Aniston seems nice. I just I don't find her as what everybody else finds her. Uh, that's okay. I think Tom's got a solid team here, though. And I got to admit, I don't know who Theo Vaughn is. You're kidding me. I, maybe I know it, but don't really. Maybe I don't he's, recall. He's from Louisiana. Which one is he? I don't. I don't know who that is. He's a comedian. Yeah, and he's fucking hilarious. Okay. Um, I'm gonna send you some Theo Vaughn stuff. I I think he's the funniest guy right now. If I was gonna choose a comedian, I would have chosen Richard Pryor or or Dave, or Dave Chappelle. Oh, Dave Chappelle would have been fucking great. That's a, that's oh, a. I was close on Dave Chappelle. Dave so. Chappelle would have either made some of my guests get up and leave, or he would have had everybody by the fucking belt. <laughs> would you? How much money would you pay to watch Frank Sinatra and Dave Chappelle at the same time? I don't, they they would either hate each other or get along great. Oh, I think that'd be. I think they'd get along great. I so, think that'd be a fantastic pairing. Uh, who were some of the best of the rest? Here's some of the names that were also on my draft board that I think would have been for the uh, for the dinner party here. Um, Phil Mickelson. Uh, I think Phil would be very – he'd have a lot of stories to tell uh, over the years, and I think Phil is a uh, very uh, well-spoken guy, and he's been to a few dinner parties over the years with his career. Um, Steve Carell, uh, obviously – Tom, the dinner party episode of The Office was one of the best mm-hmm. uh, episodes of The Office. I think Steve Carell would be great. Bill Murray was another one I had on here. Um, and I would love to hear now about his new girlfriend that brings the milkshakes to the yard now. Uh, that uh, 40-year-old that he's with now. Um, uh, Dave Chappelle was also on my list. Um, and then uh, also I had... You know, if I I thought there was a good chance Jennifer Aniston was going to be gone, and so I, I was trying to think of attractiveness and stories to tell. Courtney Kardashian was probably my very bottom pick, but I uh, was on there as well. So, uh, in in hearing about the Kardashian family, that'd be pretty interesting. Those were my best of the rest uh, there, uh, Bo. Who were some of your kind of best of the rest? Okay, so I went a little bit historical on my list as well. Shakespeare. Was on there? Okay, that'd have been good. Uh, yeah, I was kind of going back and forth on that one. Or George Washington was gonna be the number one pick for me. Um, Dalai Lama would have been on my list before he was kissing kids. My my <laughs> thing, no religious people. There were gonna be no religious people in my party. So no offense to the Dalai Lama, but I don't want any spirituality. We want to have a good time. Tonight. <laughs> so no popes. Not even this new pope. The new pope is cool, but no, we're not no popes, no rabbis, no nothing. No, no spiritual people. Uh, Ted Williams is on my list because he's my favorite athlete of all time. Um, and I can just talk. I would love to just talk hitting with Ted Williams like all day long. Uh, Vince Lombardi was also on my list. If we did sports ones, I could have had a pretty deep roster as well. But uh, so I had some different sports people on there as well. But I didn't go. Heavy on the sports. I went with just Muhammad Ali. So, you know, last year, 
I, I had Bo on my ass about how bad I was drafting all year long. It sounds like that we all feel pretty good about our first draft class as a whole, that everybody did a pretty decent job. Yeah, I, I, I wonder I, I, if Tom didn't, He didn't draft a Russian dictator. <laughs> you did. <this> time, <laughs> and that was the first pick of the first yeah. draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I think somebody could have said, like, Ocho Cinco, I think, would be pretty interesting. Um, Bo, I'm surprised, like, comedian, you know, oh, like a comedian like Joey Diaz would be crazy. I love Joey Diaz, he would be hysterical. Joey Diaz, Joe David Rogan, Goggins. I'm not yeah, I was about to say David Goggins, Joe Rogan, Neil deGrasse Tyson would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting as well. Um, um, like Bo would love to have Carlson. No, I would oh, not. God. <laughs> Mine. Um, surprising oh, Donald Jonesy, but I guess he's going to prison, so he can't go to the dinner he's party. He's not gonna he's make it, he's not available. Yeah, <laughs> gonna go ahead, everybody's gonna have mystery loaf at the jail, and, and yeah, you have to go for a conjugal visit. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Johnny Knoxville would be pretty interesting. Uh, fight uh, Dennis Rodman, but I would be afraid he'd have bad manners at the dinner table. Oh yeah, that like um, Johnny Knoxville or Steve-O, I would not invite because I'm like, okay, there's going to be an airbag under my seat or there's going to be some jackass prank at my dinner table. Yeah. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to walk out with the food and get hit by a big oversized boxing glove. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's going to I'm just going to hear the and I'm going to be put on jackass. Uh, oh, Aaron Rodgers would be interesting if you got him on like a uh, like a psychedelic type talk. Mm. Maybe if the dinner party was in the dark. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I thought Bob was going to invite Adam Schefter. No. <laughs> oh God. Um. I think we I think we could run this back, but name you six people it. you absolutely don't want at your fucking house. Oh, that would be interesting. I can do that with you guys right now. So well, let's save that for another day. Let's circle back. <laughs> I want the I don't know who I don't know who would get the first pick out of me and Bo. I think we'd both have the first pick. I bet money we got the same first pick. <laughs> so let's circle back. Don't say anything. Let's save oh, it. No. Say that for a later show uh, down the road. We'll do this. Who you would not invite to your dinner party? The the hit list of sorts. We'll say that Jones. For Jones, real quick. I'm surprised you didn't pick Andy Reid, culinary. You eat all my food. That or um. Oh, you know what would have been a good one? Freaking um. Oh my, Gordon Ramsay would be awesome. Anthony Bourdain would have been what I would have chosen as well. I, I, I think didn't. Even Think about cooks or chefs. I thought about him. I thought about Anthony Bourdain and uh, Emerald Lagasse. Yeah. I think Monk and uh, Travis Kelsey would be fun too. Oh yeah, can you imagine that? Or uh, Jones might pick like a Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff, guys. Uh, coming up next, our uh, Tom Fuglery story of the week. Uh, more to come.
Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Final segment before we go. Time for our top foldery story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Jones, we're going to a funeral. Okay. Cool. okay. We're going to a funeral. And Jones, tell me if you've ever thought about faking your own death and just moving away or just starting a new life. Well, this guy doesn't want to, this guy fakes his own death. He doesn't want to move away or start our own life. This comes from Outkick Coverage. Um, and title reads, Father fakes his own death, shows up at funeral in a helicopter to make people appreciate him. A clearly normal and not crazy at all father decided to fake his own death only to show up days later in a helicopter during his funeral procession. His reasoning, he wanted to see who would actually miss him if he passed away. Now, what would be really dark in my mind is if he shows up in the helicopter and it crashes. Um, that's dark on my end, but that would be kind of <laughs> funny. Um, and he wonders why no one liked him in the first place. The bizarre, somewhat disgusting, but kind of funny from just how absurd it was prank happened over the weekend in Belgium. To help with the announcement of his death, 45-year-old TikToker, and they put in, this This is why I love OutKick, because they write shit so funny. To help with the announcement of his death, 45-year-old TikToker, and then in parentheses they go, of course. <laughs> David Baturn utilized both his wife and children. Rest in peace, daddy. I will never stop thinking about you. Why is life so unfair? Why you... You were going to be a grandfather and you still had your whole life ahead of you. I love you. We love you. We will never forget you. One of his daughters wrote on her Facebook page. <laughs> Cheers to you all. Welcome to my funeral. When it was time for the funeral a few days later, dozens of friends and family showed up dressed in black and ready to pay their respects and goodbyes to their late friend. However, video posted online shows the helicopter starting to approach from a distance. As it gets closer, people more concerned and confused about what's happening, especially once it lands and out comes David as some of his family run towards him crying. <laughs> the, prank <laughs> the prank is getting mixed reactions online. On one hand, you have him, those that know him that are happy he's not, you know, actually dead. But some of his family and friends are really pissed at him and aren't even talking to him anymore. They went through the grieving process thinking David was dead and gone. And then out of nowhere, he suddenly appears like Jesus resurrecting, not from a <laughs> but a helicopter. Talk about needing a drink. No water, Jesus, just wine. <laughs> um, David is still defending his decision to fake his own death. What I see in my family often, it often hurts me. I never get invited to anything. Nobody sees me. We all grew apart. I felt unappreciated. He told Times UK. That's why I wanted why? to give them a life. <laughs> That's why I wanted to give them a life lesson and show them that you shouldn't wait until someone is dead to meet up with them. Damn, he was down bad. He also says that pulling <laughs> pulling the ultimate literally life or death scenario, he has found out who his true friends are. It proves who really cares about me. Those who didn't come did contact me to meet up. So in a way, I did win, he added. I mean, that's a heck of an absurd absurd way to go about trying to find out who your friends are. You could have just tried to plan a trip and see who backed out. Maybe a bar hang? If you're that desperate for attention, then maybe you need to get a different group of friends. Personally, I can't see what, what, 
wait to see what happens when no one shows up to his birthday party. Jones, I'm about to watch this video real time here. If it'll pull up. Oh my gosh, this is uh, this is incredible. This uh, that this guy did this. My my first question, Tom. Now that the funeral has happened and he showed up in the helicopter and all that, um, funerals aren't cheap. When he actually yeah, dies, on this. when he actually dies, they don't have to do the funeral again, right? Like he doesn't get that over. He had his while he was still there. Like as far as I'm concerned, like no, you're not getting another funeral again. That's the end of it. Like we already went through your grieving process, thinking you were dead. No, we're not doing that. Again. Like Tom Brady retiring, right? When, when Tom Brady retired, I said, "Yeah, I'm not giving him that whole uh, hoorah of retirement and all that." We already went through that last year. We're not doing this again. Exactly, people. I'm watching the video. This is crazy. People are freaking out. So I, I'm I'm needing to do some more research here. How did he fake his own death? What what did they cremate? And I'm assuming it's not an open casket. Did they assume he just went missing? And then just was gone? No. There'd be a search party. They'd have to figure it out. I'm going to have to do some more research. How did they... How did they just... were like, yep, that's his dead body. Let's just go ahead and cremate him. What did they cremate? Like the family dog or something? Like... <laughs> um, how did he fake his own death? Even then, in that theory, doesn't somebody have to know that the cremation happened? Where's the communication line now? Yeah, I don't know. who, who, How much did he pay to get the funeral home to go along with it? Or, you know, there's got to be like, like there's certain things that happen when you die. Like there's got to be a death certificate signed. Like there's some shit that has to go down yeah. legally. How does that work now? Like, oh, I'm actually alive. Like. I don't know. I'm I'm reason. How did man fake his death in Belgium? Did they already give away his social security number to a newborn? Right. Like I know it's Belgium, but I have no idea like how they go about that. I mean, it, there's a whole can of worms that we are opening here with this guy faking his own death. And and the lesson that that he was trying to convey in all this is there a more self-centered thing than this right here, Tom. I mean, how much of an egomaniac do you have to be to pull this one off? Oh, yeah. You got to be a freaking loon. Um, I know, like, you have to tell somebody about it. Who said, like, hey, man, that's probably not a good idea? Obviously, he didn't have enough friends to have somebody talk him out of it. Somebody went along with it. I mean, yeah. The stage funeral took place last week. After one of his Barton's daughters wrote a tribute on Facebook, same shit. I'm reading different articles to see how he went about it. Um, <laughs> so he added that although only half of his family attended his fake funeral, other relatives contacted him. Um, oh, here we go. See, this is why you always read some more. Later during his appearance on TPMP, whatever that is. Baytern said that he regretted going through with the stunt. The stunt. He revealed that his wife had known about his plan from the beginning and tried <laughs> to stop it. 
Um, Indy 100 reports that the prankster allowed his children to believe that he had really died for only a couple of days before telling them the truth of his actions. Okay. So he told the chat show that it was his film crew. Oh, he has a fucking film crew? Okay. He told the chat show that it was his film crew that stipulated they would only document the stunt if he let his children and sister know that he was really not dead. He insisted, however, that half knew it was a prank from the beginning. After seeing the response from his loved ones, Burton said, as soon as I started receiving messages from people and videos of them crying, I wish I could cancel the whole thing, but it was too late. I asked myself, what have you done? Or what? Ha- why have you done this? But it was too late. I'm sorry to all the people I hurt. I hate hurting people. It still doesn't tell me how the hell did he fake his death? Like, what do they have in the casket? What do they, you know, what do they have in the urn? You know? Right. I don't know how I did it, but that turned... Okay. So, I was about to say, his wife... They, his his fa- immediate family would have had to somewhat know. Well, and then, you know. the fact that they were in on it. So, his immediate family, then, is lying to everybody, saying that he's dead? Like, you can't trust anybody, then, at that point. I mean, yeah, because then, at that point, if I had a wife... And she was like, okay, going to fake my death or whatever. And then, you know, a couple days before the funeral, he tells them, or like knew he had a plan the whole time to do right. some shit like this. I would not be wasting people's time. I'd be like, first off, fuck you for wasting people's time to come out here and grieve you. Right. Second off, we're not still going through with this. Like, we are not having this full shit. First off, well, more like third off at this point, um, it's ridiculous to me how the wife was like, yeah, we're still going to waste people's fucking weekend. It's one thing to have a wedding on a college football Saturday. It's a whole nother thing to fake a funeral and waste someone's Saturday or weekend or time off work to come to your fake fucking funeral. Right. Like, like you might have faked your first funeral, but if I had to take a day off work and waste my PTO to come to your fake funeral, you might have a real funeral after. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I would be, I would be pissed. Right. I mean, rightfully so. There's some, there's some shit that you just don't do. Right. You know, if you don't have a legitimate reason to fake your own death, like. Uh, your life's in danger or maybe your ex-wife or your current wife's just a total bitch and you don't know a better way to get out of it. So, okay. I got I got a little story for you of faking somebody in my own family actually faking their own death. Um, what? So, a, a great-grandfather like four or five generations ago, maybe even farther back than that, Tom, um, I had, he was, uh, fighting in the military and he was declared dead. Um, and you know, left behind a wife and kids and all that. He was like a war hero. He's got like a statue up in Tennessee and everything. Really? Well, okay. Well, here's where it gets interesting. So everybody, you know, from as the tale goes, like they all thought he was dead, whatever. Well, then after more research and family history, they found out years later, well after the fact, after, you know, you know, generation later, turns out this relative of mine, this grandfather, uh, great-grandfather, 
he actually faked his own death and he left his wife and kids with his nurse and moved to Virginia and changed his name and started a whole new identity and everything. You're kidding me. I'm dead serious. So was he, was he, did he like, now you're going to tell me his statue in Tennessee was one that they tore down in part for the Confederate statues that they tore down. (laughs) (laughs) I think the statue is still there. The statue of limitations are still there. Yes. Um, But how'd you guys figure this out? uh, I think it was through my, like my grandmother or her mother or something like that. Yeah. So he never got consequences for his actions? Never. No. So a whole new life, had a new, married the nurse, had a family with her, had kids and everything. Man, that's commitment. Yeah. Um, I also w- was hearing about this the other day, Tom, that uh, there was, uh, I guess, caskets back in the day. I don't know if they still have them to this day. Had oh, bells, bells in them. Um, and that way, if you came back to life in your casket, you could ring your bell to alert that, hey, I'm alive. I'm in the casket. I'm still alive. Apparently, that used to be a big problem back in the day. And that's oh. where the term saved by the bell comes from, yep. is the bell in the casket. It is not something to do with, uh, you know, Mario Lopez and all that in that old show, you know, uh, on TV. But Saved by the Bell actually uh, came came from people, like, waking up in their caskets alive. I did know that. Here's a daily double for you here. Ready? Okay. No, this isn't a... This isn't a... Uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying that the Jeopardy guy faked his own death. Um, RIP to him. But it's crazy when you bring that up. Because another top story from ridiculousness of the week: women pressure women, a woman presumed dead found alive in coffin at her wake in Ecuador. Really? Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but 76 year old woman who was declared dead at the hospital in Ecuador was found to be alive and knocking on her coffin during her own wake. Lifted up the coffin, her heart was beating and pounding, and a left hand was hitting the coffin. We called 911 to bring her here to the hospital. Um, a state investigation is now underway. Says the woman had been admitted Friday to the hospital with possible stroke. Um, video goes on to show the hospital tags and her son, who's shown pleading for an ambulance to arrive. Um, yeah. So, looks like she was at her like, which is crazy to me because here's the deal. That doesn't happen anymore in, at least in North America, not that I've heard of, unless you have certain burial things. John's, like I said, it doesn't really happen in America anymore because unless you have certain burial restrictions, and I had a co-worker's family friend have these burial restrictions where it was part of their, I don't know, religion, tradition, uh, creed, whatever to literally be buried, not be embalmed or cremated. And there are laws that say if you don't get embalmed or you don't get your freaking blood uh, drained out of your body 
or all the other shit that goes down, they have to bury you within like, I think it's like something crazy, like that you have to be buried like within 48 to 72 hours or something crazy like that. Really? But now that wouldn't happen if you didn't have those rights, because obviously you get taken to the funeral home and like probably I'm assuming, I don't know this, but I'm assuming here. The first thing they do when you get to the funeral home when you die, they stick needles in your freaking aorta and drain the blood out of your body. So, okay. if you weren't dead, you're going to you be dead. dead before you were definitely going to be dead before you get to the day of the funeral. So yeah. that bring, brings me back to this guy must have faked his death somehow, and then convinced the funeral home to play along with it. Or what body was there to cremate? It's crazy. They yeah. do. Di- they must do different shit in Belgium, but maybe. What a crazy story that is. On that note, uh, we got to go. Big thanks, to John Holt, for stopping by, Coach Bo, as well, and you, the listener, for joining us here at the Jones Sports this week. Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google uh, Podcasts, uh, Apple as well. And uh, follow us on social media, Twitter at uh, Toggler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, and uh, Studio underscore Soapbox, Facebook, Toggler Jones Live, Studio Soapbox, and then uh, Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Toggler Jones Live. It's Thomas. You can find us there. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, our entire crew of Toggler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.